Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast of the future. This podcast is good, but it could be better. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and joining me <laughs> joining me are James Hunt and Caroline Cedar. Is that the best one I've ever done? It was pretty good. I was I'm I'm riding the cre- the crest of a meme here, guys. <laughs> At the height of its relevance. Twitter would be a flurry with that. Um <laughs> James, Caroline, um, First of all, Caroline, thank you for joining us again. Anytime. Um, our, our listeners don't know this, but actually, the not the last time we spoke, because you were on our you're on our big Christmas party celebration. But um, we already have an episode in the can that you're on, uh, where we're talking Blade Trinity. But we thought, given the the timings of this movie and its release and hitting it when it's most relevant, we'd probably release this one first, and then people can time travel back with us in the future when we when we put out the Blade Trinity episode. It's like an homage to Wonder Woman appearing in um, Batman v Superman, but then we flash back to her origins and, you know, we're really, we're riding that wave. And forget forget that that other thing ever happened. <laughs> um, so yes, we will be discussing today Patty Jenkins 2020, or kind of, I guess, most of us have seen it in 2021 now, movie Wonder Woman 1980. 84. Um, but before any of that, we are going to very quickly talk about what we've been watching and then we'll dive into a little bit of spoiler-free discussion of, of the movie before we get deep, deep into the spoilers. Um, Caroline, what have you been watching? Well, in the in the less relevant section, I've been watching the US Figure Skating Championships that were last weekend, which is my favourite sport, so that was a lot of fun. Oh, brilliant. And in the more relevant category, I'm I'm uh, quarantining with or with my family during the pandemic now, and we decided to uh, start rewatching the MCU from the beginning. So we've only <laughs> oh, made it to Iron Man two, so early days still, but we've got those first three under our belts. It's exciting. Nice. You have good stuff to come. Yeah, I, we've reached the point. Those first three I always find to be the hardest on a rewatch. I'm like, okay, I want to get to yeah, get to the good when stuff. it starts to feel like a universe. So I'm excited from here on out. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the uh, I, I might have said this before on the podcast, but the amount of people I know that have marathoned the MCU movies since lockdown began, um, I, I think that <laughs> despite having to push a number of their projects back, one of the big winners of this pandemic might end up being Marvel, who yeah. <laughs> have released 18 movies and, you know, and, and now kickstarting some TV series um, 
which are, you know, the first one is dropping right at a point where everyone is locked up. Um, you know, what what a win for them. Yeah. Yeah, they certainly are not lacking for content to <laughs> tide people over. <laughs> one of the things I find interesting about the MCU generally is how some people are like, what do I need to watch to understand this film? And I'm... I get kind of irritated because I'm like, there's pretty much no film you can't just pick up and start with. Like, the only yeah. requirement of the MCU is that you are invested enough to stick with it. Yeah. Like, I saw people saying, like, what what film should I watch to understand WandaVision? And I'm like, nothing. Just just yeah. watch WandaVision. <laughs> it's fine. It's all in there. Yeah, and, and probably, you know, at, at any point in this process, go... Okay, this is this is the new thing, One Division. I'm gonna watch that. Mm-hmm. Did I like it? Yeah. Is it easy for me to go back and watch all of the rest of the stuff? Yeah, really easy. That like almost all of them are on the same platform that you've just watched One Division on, and the ones that aren't, eh, maybe <laughs> sort of don't matter. So I, I say that uh, mere days after Caroline was yet again professing her love for the Incredible Hulk on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I actually enjoyed it a little bit less this rewatch, but the things I love about it, I will always love, which is mainly Ed Norton and Liv Tyler together. <laughs> You're not excited to see Samuel... S- no, not um, Tim Roth. Was it Tim Roth coming back? Yeah. It yes. Is. Yeah. Uh, What's he- not my favorite <laughs> Tim Roth performance. But I do well, like Tim Roth in general, so... Is he in She-Hulk? Was that what we... Yes, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. All of those projects getting announced at the same time means that they have all completely blurred into one in my mind. Yeah, I just assume <laughs> every person is in the Spider-Man movie. <laughs> <laughs> James, what have you been watching? Um. Oh, I started watching Big Mouth, which is interesting. Mm. I don't know if either of you have seen that. have not. I, I've heard I watched the first season, I think. Yeah, it's like a cartoon about a bunch of kids going through puberty, and it is, um, I would say, it is a very uh, frank look <laughs> at the entire process and the feelings and the physicality of it. Um, I think I would have gone wild for it watching it as a 16-year-old. I think it would have, you know, just blown my mind to be like, these people get it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think it sort of needs that distance. <laughs> like I, when I watch it, I feel like I, I need to have the whole process needs to be finished <laughs> for me to be able to look at it and go, yeah, I understand why that is funny. <laughs> I survived that. Yeah. But Kat Dennings is in it, which is the main reason I'm watching. So. Mm. Oh, is she? Who's she? <laughs> She's uh, Andrew's sister. No, the other one. One of their sisters. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you you would have had you you'd have to say Mulaney or Kroll. I don't. I I, I can't remember <laughs> the characters. <laughs> yeah. I just remember the voice actors. She's Kroll's, Jason Mantzoukas Kroll's sister. Well, right? Kroll's sister. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Got you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the well, other thing I've been doing is uh, rewatching the Star Trek movies, mm. and I've done the first six, and I can definitively say Star Trek Six is the best. Yeah. I By agree. far. <laughs> I agree. I'm it's glad. The sec- it's the second best. <sighs> I just I try to like Wrath of Khan, and I'm just like, no, Wrath of Khan is Wrath of Khan is the third best. Okay, 
the the whales, James. I love the whales. It, I it's mean, whales. that's it's nice in a comedy way, but Star Trek yeah. Six is like an actual movie. Yeah, <laughs> I, but I think and I think Star Trek Six is the one that rewards you, you know, anyone who loves Star Trek the most as well. Yeah, I just I think it's got such a good script. I think yeah, I I I, I love it. I for me, I love the whale one because it feels. The most like an episode script that's just been blown up into a feature. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Wrath of Khan feels like an, an episode that has been, um, I I don't know. Um, it, it it feels it feels bigger than an episode. That's that's and I think that's why everyone loves Wrath of Khan. It's like you know it feels like a movie. Uh, whereas I I like the kind of slightly televisual nature of. Uh, <laughs> the whale i mean it's weird actually can't remember the name <laughs> the voyage home star voyage trek 4 <laughs> colon the voyage home yeah <laughs> it's weird like just i i quickly was watching some tng episodes recently and uh i watched a two-parter from season seven from <clears throat> i watched a two-parter from season seven called gambit and it's been so long since i've seen it but if that had been a star trek movie it would have been one of the better movies it's such a good mm. two-parter I don't even remember it. It's uh, you think Captain Picard has been killed while undercover, and so mm. Riker goes off half cocked and gets captured, and Data and Worf are in command of the Enterprise, and they're just trying to like Riker and Picard are just trying to get out of this situation they're stuck in without anyone dying, and it's really interesting. And uh, Robin Curtis, uh, guest stars as a Romulan. Having maybe this will be Savick. my next um. My next quarantine rewatch will just be all the Star Trek series. I can recommend. I like. I never. Every time I go back to Star Trek, I'm just like, man, TV is not this good anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I've been watching. Great. So I'll, I'll do the. I'll, I'll I'll do kind of what both of you have done as well. But my slightly less relevant thing is that um, my wife and I have been watching all of the old seasons of Taskmaster um, <laughs> again on on 4OD. Um, Taskmaster Caroline is. Uh, like a British uh, kind of comedy panel show, uh, mm. but also kind of game. It's 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 brilliant. Um, we have just got to I think season seven in our rewatch, which is the uh, James A. Caster, Kerry Godleman, uh, Jessica Nappet series, and it's uh, it's the it's the best one. So we've been having an absolute hoot with that. Um, but from a movie point of view, um, I've talked about this before. I like to have my kind of ongoing projects and. After the new year, when I finished off my uh, my project to watch one movie from every year in cinema history, basically throughout the course of 2020, <laughs> which I've now restart, I'm, you know, I'm reset now. I'm doing it again for 2021. Um, but one of my projects that was ongoing before Christmas was watching all of the Alfred Hitchcock f- films in mm. reverse chronological order. And now I'd se- I'd I'd seen I don't know maybe ten or fifteen Hitchcocks previously um and so i was going in and kind of filling in the gaps and then because the ones that i'd seen were like the big hitters i was like well i'm not i'm not gonna not watch psycho again yeah uh, so so i've kind of watched every single one in in broadly reverse chronological order order and also been having this kind of challenge to pick up the discs as i go as well because not all of them are readily available or not all of them are on streaming um and you know i want to watch all of them through legal means so i've been kind of 
scouring eBay and picking up box sets or the odd DVD here or there. And then one popped up on iPlayer last week, so I was really happy about that. Um, and the the one that I just want to call out, I've kind of been in the early Hollywood era of Hitchcock in the past week or so. Um, I was also laid up in bed with food poisoning last week, so um, I managed to watch quite a few in bed during during the day. Um, and um, I, it's it might be my favourite Hitchcock is uh, the 1946 movie Notorious with mm-hmm. uh, Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman and Claude Rains, um, which I, I think might be his like his least celebrated masterpiece as, as far as I'm concerned. It's I, you know it's it's normally up there around the top ten in in the rankings, but it's never kind of there in the top three or four and. I just I adore it. It's so it's so perfectly formed. The performances are incredible. The the like you know I know Hitchcock is the master of suspense, but the suspense that he manages to elicit any time that something is going down in that big house, and there's one particular sequence where Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman are in the wine cellar and. Oh, it just, it's edge of your seat kind of stuff. And I watched it when it was re-released in cinemas last year um, and then uh, imported the Criterion because the Criterion isn't on sale in the UK. So I imported the Criterion from the US and re-watched that and it is just a joy. I think it's one of, it, you know, as far as I'm concerned, a, a perfect movie. So Notorious is the one that I wanted to talk about this week. We've, we've put together a pretty good diverse list of recommendations for a comic book movie podcast i feel yeah, like where, where <laughs> else are you ran the gamut gonna get where else are you gonna get netflix animation figure skating yeah. and and taskmaster <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so that's what we've been watching um I, I will also take this opportunity to say all of us have been watching the first two episodes of wandavision um james and i have recapped those first two episodes um they are up behind the paywall on patreon so if you want to listen to that i think the first episode is about 40 minutes long they're not all going to be that long it wasn't it was a double (laughs) double episode preview um so we've popped that up on patreon those episodes aren't going to be going up on the main feed at all what we're going to do is when we hit the end of the first season of wandavision we will I presume only season of one division, but who knows? Uh, we will then do a main feed episode on the whole thing. But if you want to listen to our kind of episode by episode reactions, you know when we when we're kind of going, oh, that's the cliffhanger this week, and oh, and what? Where do we theorize that this thing's going? Then um, head of he- head over to Patreon, and if you back us there, you'll get access to those and you know everything else we've put up on there over the years. So that quick plug over out of the way. Shall we head back to 1984? <laughs> so, to uh, spend a little time with our good friends, Ghostbusters, Wonder Woman, <laughs> <laughs> Wonder Woman, and uh, Steve Trevor in the body of some dudes. <laughs> no, wait, I shouldn't do that because that's a spoiler. <laughs> let's let, let's travel back to 1984 and talk some Wonder Woman. Um, spoiler-free reactions, guys. What did you think, Caroline? You you hit us first. You saw Wonder Woman earlier than we did, so it's been a bit more of a gap for you because it was released on HBO Max in the US on Christmas Day. 
true. So that is what my family and I, at mainly at my insistence, uh, watched on <laughs> Christmas after opening our presents and doing our breakfast. We watched Wonder Woman. Um, I was pretty mixed on it. I remain mixed on it. I rewatched it again before this episode. So it's all fresh in my mind. Um, but yeah, I would say it's, it is aiming for an interestingly silly, campy vibe that actually really reminded me of Superman 3. Mm-hmm. In like mostly in a good way, or at least in the beginning in a good way. And I would say for the first half of this movie, I was like pretty on board. And then I think the second half kind of falls apart. Like it does, it's not immediately clear how disastrously it's falling apart, but like slowly and incrementally, it sort of crumbles before you. And by the end, I was sort of, I don't know, left with something that wasn't hugely satisfying. So I wouldn't say like I had an awful time watching it, but it's a movie that I very much wish I could go and like fix and re-edit or, you know, <laughs> re-storyboard just a little bit. Cause I think with a few like relatively small adjustments, you could get at what they're trying to do, but actually do it effectively, which I don't think they quite managed to do. And just to put that into context, Caroline, I believe you are slightly cooler on the first movie than most people as well, aren't you? Yes, I really enjoyed the first movie. I think my qualms with it were different than a lot of people's. I think most people loved it, but were like the third act kind of falls apart. I had like earlier concerns, most of them involving not even how much screen time Steve Trevor gets, but sort of like the focus on that Steve-Diana relationship above giving her sort of like a diverse set of relationships that I think could make her a more well-rounded character. Although I did re- also rewatch the first Wonder Woman today, this morning, actually. And I think I actually like it better now that I'm sort of in the mindset of what it's doing. Mm-hmm. But I also <laughs> want to give that movie a note because I feel like I actually, I, I thought my original problem with that movie was that it gave too much screen time to Steve Trevor. But now I think my actual problem with that movie is that very early in the opening act it kills off Antiope Wonder Woman's aunt and then the movie Mm. like literally never brings it up again and it has no impact on her and just like let her live and then I think I would have been way higher on that movie (laughs) I'm so frustrated by that choice and so I really pinpointed like that I think is where a lot of my frustrations with that first one lay but but really on this rewatch I found it even more moving especially in comparison to like the messier aspects of 1984. That's that's a very interesting criticism, and I think that potentially um, that potentially shines a light on some of the some of the storytelling decisions that Patty Jenkins makes in this movie as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of kind of, um, well, hey, hey, we'll get into it. Uh, James, James, where where do you uh, where do you land on Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four? I was not a huge fan of it. There were like. I really wanted to like it because I, I love the first. I think the first is like borderline a five-star movie. I, I had such a good time with it. And then with this one, I came in, I was like, okay, what's what are the big ideas? What's it trying to do? And I just, I I found less and less to grasp onto as the movie uh, progressed. I was just like, what what is this film actually about? Yeah. What's it trying to be about? <laughs> I just, it felt like three different acts from three different movies. And none of them were particularly well executed. I think I agree with Caroline. It starts off strong and then it just, it fails to sort of cohere everything together by the end of it. Um, even, even down to, I just, the performances felt 
confused. The direction sort of lost me. The tone didn't really land for me. I just every, everything about it failed to work for me. Mm. I'm really I was really disappointed by it. So I think I disagree. Uh, sorry, disagree. I think I agree with both of you that it starts off strongly, and by that I mean the the opening set piece in the shopping mall, mm-hmm. which, uh, <laughs> which you know, uh, I felt it kind of had like Saturday morning cartoon vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was kind of cheesy. You know that, that you've got Wonder Woman literally winking at little girls. You know, be, be like having that little kind of girl power moment, and you know, I, I kind of I, I think just reveling almost in what the first film had achieved with that character. And I thought, oh, this is sweet and fun. It's a complete different. It's a complete change of pace, um, tonally, visually, to what we got in the first movie. But you know, it's set in 1984, and if Patty Jenkins wants to do something wildly wildly different with this movie, then. Great. I mean, because I think we all would have expected, you know, probably which war is Wonder Woman going to show up in next after we'd seen the first, <laughs> after we'd seen the first one. And I don't think that that necessarily would have been a, a you know, a bad movie. But I, I admire the ambition. Um, I, I, I kind of think it kind of begins unraveling from that point, though. Um, <laughs> and it's not, and it's not Got that, one good scene. <laughs> well, basically, yeah. But it's, it's not that I look at the movie and go. I don't think Patty Jenkins knew what she wanted to say because I think when you look at it, I, I I think you can see a lot of intent in the movie. You can see uh, where she was trying to go with it, and I can I can kind of look at all of the things that I that I think the movie does badly, and when I think about it, I can go, well, I see, I see what Patty Jenkins was trying to do there, and I can see why that is an, a, why that's a decision that creatively might have made sense on paper. I think the the flaws of the movie are almost entirely in the execution. I think the performances are pretty are pretty roundly uh, poorer than they were the first time around. Uh, and I mean that for Gal Gadot and uh, Chris Pine and particularly their chemistry, which is which is weird that they just don't have that zip that they did in the first movie. Um I, I think the action scenes are less compelling. I think they're sure. less well. Sh- I think they're less well shot. I think the effects are dodgier in this movie. Um, and then I just think the 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 things that the movie wants you to buy into its kind of central premise, um, which we we can get into more in the in the uh, spoiler section around the kind of the the MacGuffin at the middle of this in the middle of this movie and the. Uh, the wish fulfillment plot at the center of it. I, I think it fails to adequately um, explain the rules or sell you on the rules or really um, follow the rules. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, but, but really, I think make you believe that that's a thing that makes sense in this universe. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, and, and again, we, we will get into it, but it's a, it's a superhero movie. And I believe, I believe dumb shit in superhero movies all the time i believe that thanos had an infinity gauntlet and um i believe uh, you know i believe that that characters pop through portals in the sky and that time travel can happen and all this all this kind of stuff that's all patently ridiculous and it in this movie there is an item that grants wishes 
and I never believe it and I never invest in it and I think it's silly and I and why sh- why should why should I think that you know um and I think it I think it all comes down to the execution I think it's a, a very I just think it's a really shoddily put together film that kind of j- just misses the mark so consistently that my initial reaction was this movie is a catastrophe, which I tweeted <laughs> out after after I watched it. And I don't think it is a full-on catastrophe. Like, I think it is better than... Um, and I think it's got more going for it than the likes of your Suicide Squads and Fantastic Fours, um, you know, the the more recent one. Uh, the, the real... Uh, and, you know, the X-Men Apocalypse. That, those kind of real superhero honkers. I don't think it is that level of terrible um but also but but it has hit at a time where we collectively were desperate for this content it showed up for most of us in our homes and we you know certainly in this country have all had to pay a a, a decent chunk of change to sit down and watch it and with the expectations of the first movie and i think the, the the kind of horrific backlash to this movie is uh, is it's overdone, but also I get it, and I think the mo- the movie is poor enough to invite it. <laughs> I think also expectations were so high because people love that first one so much, yeah. mm-hmm. and in a way, I think that's why I had a slightly more measured response because my love for the first one, while I did really enjoy it, like it wasn't maybe quite as high, so I was. You know, it didn't feel like, oh, this is such a massive fall and, like, this thing I loved is ruined. It was like, okay, this is a less perfect follow-up to a film that I didn't find entirely perfect either. (laughs) But I think James is spot on about it feeling like it's each act is a different movie. And, like, just as you're learning the rules of that act, it's like all the emotional rules change. And you're like, now it's about something entirely different. And it, it is, it's just like... It's almost less that the plot is confusing and more that the emotional arcs are confusing. I think that's the thing that yeah, actually makes absolutely. it the least easy to invest in. Yeah. Well, and, the, and, the, and the world that it, it, that it exists in is confusing. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I, I don't think I... Um, during the third act, I felt like I was watching Kingsman. <laughs> you know, the, this this kind of like... This cartoon version of the world, not not the the semi-real world that Wonder Woman existed in. Mm-hmm. yeah i mean should we get into spoiler territory because there are some specifics i want to start pulling out <laughs> <laughs> okay um i think we should so listeners what we will do if you haven't seen the movie yet uh go off and watch it or if you don't care listen to this trailer <laughs> we will be back with our spoiler filled thoughts on wonder woman 84 in uh, about 30 or 40 seconds i imagine Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. My life hasn't been what you probably think it has. We all have our struggles. Have you ever been in love? A long, long time ago. You? So many times. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> Welcome to the future. Life is good, but it can be better. And why shouldn't it be? All you need is to want it. Think about finally having everything you always wanted. I can save today, but you can save the world. Steve. Now, I take what I want in return. Everyone will see. born from lies and greatness is not what you think Just a trash can. It's just a trash can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, spoiler-filled thoughts on Wonder Woman 1984. James, it seemed like you were bursting to get something off your chest. So, I, I, like I said, I was trying to pull out what the big theme of this movie was. And I've, I've seen some people say, like, oh, you know, it was a kind of anti-greed movie it was like an anti um capitalism movie like i was just 
for all the stuff that that it could have been about it didn't feel like it really nailed any particular tone and like the first movie had a really strong theme of like you know love and compassion for all other people and it, it nailed that so well that i was expecting that of this one you you watch that first movie and certainly when when Diana turns up in London in that first sequence and then when she makes her journey out into um you know it, it, into out to the trenches and into no man's land etc um you are just in every scene hit with this empathy that this character has mm-hmm. and the empathy is kind of overwhelming and it it feels like one of those you know that film felt to me like superman in a different way but in (laughs) in in a a way that you felt like you were watching a superhero text and it and it made sense as well is what a superhero should be yeah and it made sense because she came from paradise into a world that is kind of experiencing its sort of lowest point i was just going to add on to what you said that it's like it's empathy but it's also naivete like she has such a yes. clear arc because yeah. she starts with not understanding the world at all and the whole movie is about her learning like things are not black and white it's not just like Aries is bad and the humans are good it's like a very complicated mix and to solve the problems of the world you know you can't just kill the one bad guy she has such a clear mm. arc and mm-hmm. I think it's almost like that first movie was like we resolved her arc and then for the rest of her immortal life she never her personality was the same. <laughs> like I think I think to some extent like the you know there I don't know if they feel locked into the personality that they established for her in Batman v Superman where she was a little bit more of like the cool glamorous distant like art collector lady and they you know feel like they have to keep her in that mode but it feels like she was such a dynamic character in the first one but then they were like she can't stay that way so we're almost like locking her into a different and less interesting personality for the rest of her time in this universe. Mm-hmm. Well, it's 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 difficult, right? Because the 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 movie so the movie starts off with her working in the Smithsonian, um, and yeah, ostensibly nearly seventy years on from the events of the first movie. So you can kind of try and paint this backstory for her. And it's kind of like I, I mean, I was thinking Twilight and I was thinking, mm-hmm. you know, how that how that movie starts and it's like, okay, this family's turned up in the town. Everyone thinks they're a bit weird. Um they kind of, they they've only been here for they can only be in a certain place any amount of time. So sh- they can't really make long-term relationships or or friends all they've got is each other so i kind of was like trying to transpose that onto diana but all we get from the movie is here she is eating a meal alone and 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 like here are a couple of pictures of her at the the trevor family ranch and uh, the picture of her with an old etta candy which i thought was quite sweet yeah um, although but then you it, know, it, those pictures pass by so quickly with no context or returning like the this movie's really counting on a brief pan by some pictures to just fill you in on like you said like 70 years of history hmm. I and, feel like that's, I don't know. It's a lot, comic book movies usually, you know, they spell things out. This movie is weirdly <laughs> like not interested in spelling out anything that happened in mm-hmm. the time between the movies. But then, but then to, to kind of, to kind of just imply that this character hasn't really 
done anything because you know there isn't a movie there hasn't really done anything of huge note in that past 70 years other than maybe kind of pop up here and there to stop minor incidents um and, yeah, to and stop a robbery uh, at the mall yeah, yeah and then <laughs> like and my then original when... goal was to end all war <laughs> and now <laughs> i stop robberies at the mall <laughs> <laughs> And, and and then when we do meet her, you're like, so, and so what is her exterior life? And the answer is, she doesn't have one. The, the film basically tells you she goes to work, she eats alone, she goes back to her apartment and occasionally stops robberies at the mall. And that's all we get. And, and I don't think, I, I think Gal Gadot is, you know, is, is a, a couple of steps worse in this movie than she was in that. Like, I think she's good in the first one and I think she's she's not terrible in this she still has those moments but she just doesn't seem i i, I don't know whether it's she, that she didn't feel like she had as much to play or that she didn't she she doesn't have the range to get to where she needs to in this movie but i just didn't she didn't sell me she, you know she couldn't do any work to fill in the gaps and i think some actors would have been able to i but she isn't so you kind of you kind of start off this movie with going I can't really get a grip on this character. Um we get we get the flashback in Firmaskira at the start, right? Which is like a Amazonia Olympics where a young Diana is competing in this kind of a you know, like Amazonian pentathlon with it's like um it's like Wipeout, or what? What is it in Ninja Warrior? Um, <laughs> in Firmiscira. Um What did you guys think of that sequence? I kind of, I, I, I kind of, I kind of get why you would want to go back to that world and and show those characters again and have a little bit. That that is the one bit of kind of wider context that you get. Like, hey, if you haven't seen the first one, this is where she's from originally. This is the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, but then she doesn't, she doesn't think of or mention Firmiscira again for the rest of the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's, so it's, it's not there for emotional weight. Its relevance comes right at the end when the sort of young Wonder Woman learns, like, oh, there are no shortcuts. You right. have to have to do things the the proper way. So I I like literally have written out like an outline of how I would fix this movie. <laughs> so I might just throw in those ideas as yeah, we go on. talk through it. But I so I feel like. The very, very tenuous, ill-defined theme of this movie is, like you said, James, what they're trying to establish. They're like, there are no shortcuts. You have to sort of, like, take bad things as they come. Like, you can't, like, you know, wish your way into a better life. You have to sort of live in reality and not... So the the, the, the line is, it's the top quote on IMDb, nothing good is born from lies and greatness is not what you think. And yes. I think I, I completely agree about that, about shortcuts and cheating and and those two things being synonymous with greed, which I think is the other central idea in this movie about, and I think that's the only reason this movie's set in 1984 mm-hmm. because it's it certainly isn't set in 1984 to have all of those cool 80 songs like we get in the trailer because they're not <laughs> they're not in the movie, and it certainly isn't to kind of uh, lean on lots of 80s cliches and like there's 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 that sequence early on where they're doing the fashion routine it feels like basically everything 80s ended up in the trailer and i think mm-hmm. the only i think the only other reason why this movie takes place in the 80s 
is i mean i'm 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 thinking of Gordon Gecko and Wall Street and Greed mm-hmm. is Good and that the 80s is kind of this cultural societal moment particularly in uh, in in the west where we kind of go like oh, you know in Reagan era America we fetishize wealth wealth is the realization of the american dream and that that is kind of the start of the rot that gets us to a Trump-like figure in 2016. Mm-hmm. And I think well, that's literally the... had it as embodied by a Trump, by literally by Trump in the eighties himself. Like that was when he sort of, yeah, you yeah, know, exactly. came prominence as a businessman. Yeah. A, well, quote and, unquote and, businessman. Let me put some <laughs> quotes around that real quick. Well, is that, but as a, as a pop culture figure, right. As someone who is worthy enough just by virtue of being, rich to to gain this celebrity status and i think that's why it's set in 1984 and i think it is it's 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 so it's it's one of these things that i was talking about at the start that i can understand the reason why patty jenkins has made that decision but i don't think any of that comes together as you were saying until right at the end and i don't think it's until you get that flashback from maxwell lord as he is kind of realizing that the error of his ways mm-hmm. and you and you see his kind of ascent to where he got to that you go oh i think i think i get what this movie was going for but that means for the the lion's share of two and a half hours before that other than her cheating at the start and taking a shortcut i was kind of going okay so the the cheating was bad the shortcuts were bad Okay, so I guess it's about not taking shortcuts, but that can't be the the whole movie, right? Um, and it it kind of only really clicked into place right at the end. And I don't I don't know whether then the movie would benefit more on a rewatch, but it doesn't it doesn't feel like a film that isn't is in enough control of its themes to be able to be cons- consistently hitting it. And I'll be honest with you, I spent most of the movie going, "How does this fucking wishing stone work? What are the rules?" <laughs> Well, I think the pro- one of the problems is that greed, I get what they're going for tying wishes and greed together, but I don't think those things correlate in the way that this movie assumes that they do. And I also mm. don't think greed is a particularly like interesting theme for Wonder Woman as a character. Like certainly for somebody like Iron Man or even like Batman, like that makes mm. sense that that would be something that they as very rich people are dealing with. But it's sort of like a weirdly abstract threat or whatever for her to be grappling with and also i don't know like you know wishes when i hear the word wishes i think of like disney magic like Mm. live your own dreams fight to be yourself and fight to you know what i mean like whatever (laughs) the sort of like is is an aspirational good quality it's not like a delusional negative quality where you're wishing for something because you are an inherently greedy evil person so i think that that also makes the wishing stone confusing because the like, wishing to be, like, Wonder Woman seems like it should be a good thing that the movie's encouraging you to do, but, like, literally within the plot, wishing to be, like, Wonder Woman is what turns Barbara into yeah. a villain. Yeah, Barbara into a villain. So it is sort of, like, it's it's conflating these things in a way that, like, I think the movie has talked itself into the idea that that makes sense, but I don't think just to a casual person, wishes and greed are the same thing, necessarily. That is a very good point, yeah. Um, I I don't think it even naturally transposes onto Diana's plot because I don't think her 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 wish isn't isn't about greed. 
it's well, that, about, that's what I was going to say. Actually, it's about grief. Her, her character yeah. doesn't experience this type of greed. It's not like she's not learning a lesson here. Like the only person learning the lesson about greed is Pedro Pascal's character, and mm. yeah, we already think that he's wrong. Okay, so can I go back to what my fix I yes. think would be? Yes. For, I, okay, so I think the theme of this movie should be immortality. Because A, that's what makes Wonder Woman such a unique hero. Like, apart from Wolverine, and he's kind of, like, his own and different deal. Like, she is so unique in that she's not just a superhero. She literally is, like, an immortal being that doesn't age. Which puts her in, like, a very interesting both sci-fi and fantasy world. Mm-hmm. And I, I was, think the can reason... I, can I ask a quick question yeah. on that? Does, so she, does she age and then stop aging? What's, <laughs> does, does she look like... I thought she, look she like, like, reached like maturity and then just like that was her frozen form. But, but obviously no, some, sure more complicated some the of the other Amazonians look older than her. So but they she's not must an Amazonian. Have, she's a, but she's, she's a, a daughter. Yes, yes so that whatever. was my question. But so which rule... I, d- I don't know. What I was wondering was if we... If we you know, can they in 30 years make Wonder Woman 45, mm. 45 27 with an, I, I don't know, yeah, like a 60-year-old Wonder Woman? <laughs> <laughs> Do they answer this in the comic, James? Does she, like, just age slowly? Uh, I th- she's just immortal and ages, like, I mean, yeah, she ages slowly. I think in Kingdom Come you see an older Wonder Woman. Um, but it's one of those things that it changes yeah. as the story needs it to. Yeah, but this was this was one of my problems with this movie though. We uh, and especially watching it at home as well. I watched it with my wife. My wife would every so often turn to me and go, "When did she wish on the stone?" Or or she'd go, "Does Wonder Woman age?" And then we'd 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 start thinking about these things because the movie wasn't compelling enough (laughs) to 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 make us not do that. Especially sat sat in our living room. To me, the reason to to set a sequel. 66 years after the first movie is like you would only do that to explore immortality right like that's almost baked into the premise so to me this movie should be about like how has you know after this really dramatic first experience with mankind how is and after like in the first movie she diana kind of makes the impulsive decision to leave Thymascara forever like we sort of learn like she can't go back there for whatever reason so (laughs) she makes a somewhat impulsive decision to go live among men she has like a very traumatic introduction to the world of man so then to me the theme of this movie should be like okay so how has she been living her life over these past 66 years and to me instead of to me the like her main arc should be and I think this is sort of what the movie is trying to get at with like the eating alone scene but it's the like she's decided in her head it's too traumatic to live to live a life where everyone I love dies either through accident or just like through old age. So I've really like cut myself off from all human contact and I've become like this person that only lives for my work. And so to me, to in terms of the opening scene on Thymoscira, to me it was like almost like a waste of that location because it was just like an action scene that really didn't tell us much. But to me, it's like if you establish, that scene should be focused on like the community she found there and how great yeah. it was for her to be part of a community where everyone was equal and either they all age slowly or they don't it whatever the rules mm. are they applied to all of them and so it was like she was so comfortable there and then contrast that with on earth where she's so unique in a way that's like very tragic and then the it's... arc becomes about her being like how do i when i'm the only one like me you know living on earth how do i still live a fulfilling life and this this was what I was alluding to earlier in the spoiler free section. It it tracks that a Wonder Woman who would not think about Antiope for the rest of the first movie 
wouldn't think about Fiona Skira at all in this movie yeah. because you know <laughs> she's she's longing for Steve Trevor, which I get. He looks like Chris Pine, and he was, <laughs> and he was really nice. I liked him. He he, he showed us his bum at one point and at, at thumbs up to everything involved. <laughs> um, but she lived for like hundreds or thousands of years on the island with those people and they were all really fucking rad and the island was literally paradise why why is that not part of the longing (laughs) why is that not one of the things that's like why why is she not why is she not trying to return there especially if she doesn't seem to be doing anything like and, and that's the other thing that first scene in the mall didn't sell me on she is just going around being superman with the you know with the odd bit of um odd bit of work at the museum in between it seemed like she was a full-time member of staff at the museum and every so often if she if she saw something might might help out (laughs) she has a confusing outfit for a hero that's supposed to be working in like stealth mode (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) like again the movie kind of was written into that corner by the Snyder universe that was established but like it really if she's working in secret she's not going to be just fuck it off though that's well, what that's the thing it do, like, the film just, does just... though doesn't it because she ends the film with the ability to fly and that doesn't come up again in the future and it's like True. the film clearly went uh oh, we don't really care about the Snyder movies anymore so like why why yeah, paint yourself why into that, that corner with the her being covert mm. like it, it's fine doesn't matter just ignore them I don't know. Say, say she changed the course of history at the end of World War One, and you know this isn't this is an old world where World War Two never happened or something. I don't know. But then I get. I don't know if your themes. I don't know if your themes work then. I don't know. It just yeah. Ev- everything felt so laboured and more difficult than it had to be in in the very setup. Yeah. It well. Yes and no. I think in the setup, like I, like I said, as I was watching this first hour, I didn't feel any of that effortfulness. Like I didn't love the opening action scene, but like that's or the the one on Thymus Gear, I didn't love. But then I enjoyed the mall scene. I actually love everything Kristen Wiig does in the first half of this movie. Mm-hmm. I was like delighted yeah. that it was going to be just Diana befriending this nerdy woman and them, you know, <laughs> having this friendship. Like all of that, I was fully on board with. It's only in retrospect knowing how the second half deals with these things that they feel more frustrating. But like, I was really fully on board for this whole like setup for what this movie was introducing. That's the act one thing, isn't it? Where you're like, oh, okay. So it's going to be a film about her and Barbara's relationship. And then she disappears for a huge chunk of the film. She completely loses that. Yeah. That thread at all. And like, I I genuinely, I spent the first act going like, oh, the chemistry between those two characters is really good. They've really clearly established the relationship. Like, Kristen Wiig is going to be the first person to like penetrate the you know the shell she's put up around herself emotionally, and then none of that happened, and I was like, oh, what movie did I think I was watching? And then like yeah. Chris Pine comes back to life, and it's all about him suddenly again. And yeah, like, so so let's 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 get to that. So I want to I want to discuss two things here. One is the Wishing Stone, and and two is Steve Trevor. So the Wishing Stone, what is established is that it is. You know, I, I kind of, I, I'd heard reference to Monkey's Paw in reviews and was like... <laughs> well, Chris I don't, Chris Pine mentions the Monkey's Paw. Well, that's what I mean. So I'd read it in reviews and I was like, okay, people have people have said it's like a literal Monkey's Paw. And he and go, oh, no, 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 the movie has said it's a literal Monkey's Paw. And I was like, and, and, and obviously immediately in my head, I'm like, I'm like, I'm watching a Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> none of none of this is real. I'm convinced that at the end of the movie, all of this will be reversed, and literally, it's going to be like the end of Superman. She's going to fly around the world, reverse yeah. it, and it and it never happened. Um, and we go back and just don't make the first wish, uh, because I uh, hell knows how that world continues after this movie. <laughs> it may it makes no sense. Um, but so the wishing stone is this ancient artifact from the gods that has destroyed civilizations like the Mayans before um, and basically it is a stone that grants your wishes so I'm, go- I'm gonna explain this as best as I can tell from the movie <laughs> it's a stone that grants your wishes but in kind of classic like uh, wish logic what there is like there's a trick with each wish well it's, not, it's like, not that there's a trick is it it's that it takes something from you of equal value to what you wish for yeah it's not like you're both right it's, it's not explained. like chris pine literally says it's wishes with a trick but what james just described is actually what is what happens in the film does. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that it's not right. like it, it tricks you you say like oh I, I wish to be fabulously wealthy and like suddenly you're king midas it's that you say <laughs> i wish to be fabulously wealthy and then your kid dies yeah, which is which becomes even weirder when the stone become when Pedro Pascal Maxwell Lord becomes the stone, and literally, it's like oh he is able to choose the things that get taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Except that's it's it's not you know it's not like the movie lays out those rules right at the start and you get them straight away. It's it's really clunkily explained to you, and you kind of have to go, is that what's happening? Is that what's Oh, okay. So, Kristen Wiig wishes to be like Diana, mm-hmm. and I think she, I think this is what she says: cool, sexy, strong, and special. And so, basically, what she gets is those attributes, and she gets superpowers. Um, Diana. So does does Diana actually wish out loud? No, I couldn't tell whether I just never, missed it. I no, you did not miss it because I rewatched it yesterday and looked for this she doesn't she holds it we see her sort of like close her eyes and think and like a little bit of wind rustles her hair and that's supposed to be when she makes her wish but in every other moment in the movie it is firmly established yeah you have to say your wish out loud so it's such a bizarre thing to make her wish and it's such it's such a bizarre cheat to have when your 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 central theme of the movie has to be slightly about greed and selfishness and about her actively making a choice so you know i i this movie would work so much better if if it did if it did just go down that slightly dark path of her going fuck it i just want him back yeah right that's all it needed to do all all it needed to to do was to have her holding a stone and say like i wish he was here with me just just that would have really shored up the idea of of how Steve came back and of why it was important to her. Like as it is when Steve actually arrives, we're sitting there going like, where did he come from? Well, and that's the other thing. And sorry, so I should just mention that the final wish is that Maxwell Lord wishes to become the stone, Um, which again, doesn't, doesn't make a huge amount of sense. And all of this is prior to really revealing that it, well, to to revealing that it is a godlike artifact. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I think that when they reveal, 
oh, it has something to do with the gods. We never really find out which god or why or why it's important. It's the Duke it's of not... Deception. Yeah. Is what they say. <laughs> <laughs> Don't quite know it. So they're like, it's the Lord of Lies, the Duke of Deception. <laughs> he goes by then... many names in many cultures, something like that. And I was like, sure, Yeah, but great. Tom Hiddleston, right? Yeah. But yeah. In, the first, in the first movie, you've got literal Ares, you know, and... and... It just felt a bit weird that they that they don't actually go into that. Yeah, but yes, again, so again, sort of expected that character to turn up in Act Three, but then they didn't. So yes, and then I and then there was there was another Amazonian character that you keep expecting to turn up. Um, in fact, right, this movie kept reminding me of the Old Guard as well, and I was like, For the sure. old the Old Guard builds its world so much better than this. You completely buy the immortality angle of Charlie Theron's character in that movie. And when it when it kind of beds its third act villain or like sequel villain, you're like, oh my god, I can't I can't wait mm-hmm. for that to manifest. And whereas in this movie, it's just like, oh, there's a there's a person who used to write in this armor. You you, you wouldn't care. You do. you can. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna use the lasso of truth to show you the truth of this armor's owner, but you'll only see her eyes. It was like the um, it was like the photograph of Janet Van Dyne in the first Ant Man. Mm. Like, <laughs> like there she is. Is she? <laughs> um, but yeah, we get we get. A, I'm just gonna say it now. We get a post a mid credits reveal that it's a it was a character played by Linda Carter. So Which it's is a, fun. It's nice. It's sweet. That felt totally in keeping with the opening scene. For I was sure. Like, yeah, great. Okay. Um, okay, here are my... Can I give you my fixes for this section of the movie? Yes, please. For the wishing, my, for the wishing stone. <laughs> my, yeah, my carefully uh, written outline. Okay, so I think that instead of Diana and Barbara's initial relationship being so warm, I actually think this should have been a case. Like, they can still go out to lunch and maybe she's warming up to her a little bit, but I think she should have passed on her philosophy of, like, the only way to survive in this world is to not have human, like, emotional relationships. I really try to be above it all. Like, she's passing on the lesson of coldness, and then when Barbara wishes to be like Diana because she's still cool and glamorous and sexy and all that stuff, that's what sort of corrupts her. And that gives Wonder Woman a real arc because then at the end of the movie, she can realize the errors of her ways. They have a big thing where she's like, Barbara, I was wrong. Like, I shouldn't have told you that. The only way to live is to, like, experience the gamut Mm -hmm. of emotions. This is, you know, you have to accept the bad with the good, whatever. That, like, gives... That makes their dynamic more central, and it makes Diana like culpable in a way that then she can have an arc. <laughs> That's so good. Why isn't that yeah. in the film? Thank you, Patty <laughs> Jenkins. Call me for number three. I feel like <laughs> I feel like we can work well on this. I okay. genuinely, I would have loved to have seen that film. Like that's perfect. Yeah. Because, and then I, th- I just think centering the Barbara Diana relationship, and you guys both said this too. Like that just should have been what was central throughout the film. Like have all the other stuff too, but that was like such so interesting at the beginning. Um, my other thing so I think when Diana wishes on the stone she should almost wish like I wish I had a normal life or like I wish I had a normal life with Steve or whatever Mm -hmm. I think I think it's just cut this whole thing where he takes over someone's body. If that's not going to be an ethical dilemma you deal with, just have him come back. That drove me I think have him come back. Crazy. The reason she's losing her powers is almost it's like it's his immortality. Her immortality is like what's fueling him to be alive again. Mm -hmm. So it's this trade-off. And then throughout the movie, she can also grapple with, maybe I want to stop being this lost god and I can just be a normal human. My boyfriend's back to life. We can live a normal life. And I think that that also, I mean, again, that's like sort of what the movie's trying to do, but I think establishing that a little bit more cleanly and having her struggle be like, 
I don't want to be an immortal God. If I'm going to live among humans, I want to be humans. I think that's just a cleaner way to establish mm-hmm. whatever they're trying Her to do. The struggle here. is so uninteresting. I mean, this is a superhero sequel that has gone down the route of let's remove the, the central character's powers for the middle act, right? We've seen that a bunch of times. Yeah. We've seen it with Spider-Man. We've seen it with Superman, as you, you know, as you mentioned, in Superman 3. We've seen um, Iron Man. We've seen it with Iron Man. There's a and, really good episode of Supergirl that does it. Yeah. And and it's and it's more interesting when there is kind of like when there is like that that Iron Man three more, you know, broader metaphor to lean back on. Whereas in this movie, it is it's almost the least interesting of the ethical dilemmas that have been placed in front of her. So the first one is your man is in the body of another guy. That means he's literally stolen someone's life. Yeah. A, ca- a character as empathetic as Diana in that first movie should have gone, Jesus Christ, that's horrific. You can't exist in this man's body. But, uh, I, but I do want you back. Oh, right, that's, there's the dilemma, right? Oh, oh. <laughs> but in this film, she just immediately jumps into bed with him. They just never bring it. Yeah, and they don't even bring they it don't up. They don't even mention. Yeah. They're just like, oh, I guess this is where I live now. It's like, yeah, and, where that and, other guy used to live. And <laughs> it seems to have only been in there as like a... Because she's wishing a magical wishing stone. He could have come back in a bunch of different ways. Mm-hmm. He could have just come the, back. Yeah, there and didn't if the, need to be any yeah. like further explanation. And if the, cost, if the cost of him coming back was her losing her powers then you didn't need to do the body swap. But if you're going to do the body swap, deal with it. So then you you go, right, okay, so why did she do the body swap? And I think the only thing you can say is 80s comedy? I don't know. The thing thing I saw, the suggestion I saw, was that he's in someone else's body because they need to conceal the fact that the artifact is genuinely magical, like, just long enough to get it out of that act of the film. So he comes back in someone else's body and and she's confused rather than going like, oh shit, the stone is magic. Wouldn't she be yeah. confused if he walks in anyway? I mean, you assume. But if and it, if I, it I, happened it immediately just... when she made the wish, it would have been clearer that it was connected to the stone. And then, I sorry, and the, just, just to complete my thought yeah. from before, I think the other ethical dilemma is the one that you alluded to there, Caroline, is, is the immortality angle where... If she's losing her powers, she's also losing her immortality. And you know, for immortal characters who have lived these long, lonely lives, that tends to be really interesting. You know, when you when when you're watching vampire movies, that's one of the most most compelling arcs of them kind of being like Yeah, it's not it's not as not as good as you think. <laughs> Interview with a vampire of... does that great. I love that film. Yeah, um Only Lovers Left Alive is the one that, that always comes to mind for me. <laughs> oh um, yeah, highbrow, okay. <laughs> you know, I'm not not sure if you've you've seen it, James. Um, <laughs> interview with the vampire, also great. Um, but you know that that could be a dilemma where she's going. This is what it's cost me, but actually, do what do I want that? Do I do I want to lose my powers? That would be that would yeah. again be kind of an interesting thing to explore with the character. But what you're left with is her just going, "Oh, this is great." you're back you're in someone else's body but that doesn't matter and let's just have a great time i'm losing my powers yeah i kind of care as little as the audience does <laughs> and it's they only, also, that's it's another thing that's confusing they don't clearly establish she's losing her powers no and i did not have a clear sense 
just even from the first one, like, can she be injured? Like, so in the first scene, I was just like, why is she so weak all of a sudden? I was not picking up on it was intentional. I was like, this seems like she kind of just sucks. And like, in <laughs> retrospect, I got it. But I thought that that was something that could have been clearer from the beginning or from whenever so, she's supposed I mean, to start the, losing the clarity... It's when she gets shot, isn't it? That When she gets shot is when it's... I, I think it becomes clear. Yeah, but That's also when I she was spends the most confused though. She spends both I mean, I films got it after, deflecting but... bullets, so you assume bullets can hurt her, right? Yeah. Because well, why would know. she deflect them if they couldn't if they couldn't hurt her? So, I mean, I guess in the first one she's doing I it think... to protect people a lot, but yeah, and I think I think there is a moment in the first movie where you realise that she she can't be sh- she can't be shot, but the but the other Amazonians can. I just I sort of feel like it it should have been I'd, I'd, within this text I'd watched it rather than I, yeah. I, yeah yeah that was the only reason I knew because I'd watched the other movie the day before mm-hmm. and it'd be yeah. like ah right okay um, I also think it, if the if the question is does Diana want to give up her powers slash her immortality and like live with Steve forever then that's a more interesting tie-in to the greed aspect because the greed is not that she wants mm. Steve there the greed would be like is it greedy to have the power to save the world but to choose to just be normal that's sort of like what captain america struggles with like i kind of just want to be a normal guy but you know with great power comes great responsibility whatever. well that's and that's so that's I what i was be, gonna say it's yeah. the it's the it's the certainly the raimi spider-man i think nails that really well of him going it's the end of the first movie where it's like all i want is to be able to walk off into the sunset with mary jane right now mm-hmm. but yeah i can't and it fucking sucks yeah and that would be the that's city like, needs a spider-man that's like more of a I think that's a little bit more of a greed angle than just like I wanted Steve back like I wishing I wish my boyfriend didn't die is not a greedy thing to wish like that's a very mm. relatable thing and like tragic <laughs> thing to wish but wishing like I wish I didn't have to be the one to save the world you can sort of argue like okay yeah that's again a relatable wish but like you probably shouldn't you know just let the world fall to shit because you want to that's with your boyfriend well, Buffy, that's like an Buffy interesting grapple with that all the time right mm-hmm Sure. And that's what I mean. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like the central mat- metaphor because of all of the things we've just said. Cleanly transposes, or not even cleanly. It doesn't at all transpose onto Wonder Woman because she continues to try and save the world without her powers. If anything, mm-hmm. that seems less selfish. That feels like she's taking more risk. Yeah. It's like and uh, yeah, and 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 certainly the greed angle isn't coming from from Steve because he's just like. You need to just get rid of me, right? And you know when you when you watch that trailer and you're like, "Well, how is Steve back?" That's uh, they're gonna have to sell me on that, but I guess at least he's gonna be back, and we're gonna get to watch those characters. And I spent this movie actually, Caroline, thinking about what you'd said about the first movie and kind of feeling like compared to you know. Compared to the way that female love interests are normally treated in superhero movies, the the amount of screen time he gets, the amount of um, the amount of uh, attention that the first movie puts on that relationship is completely skewed compared to any other superhero movie. I think it really works, and I'm like, God, all superhero movies should spend this much time on that central relationship. Um, you kind of get your wish in this second movie that it's, <laughs> you know. The movie brings back Steve, but then doesn't seem to know what to do with him outside of that plot device of, oh, well, you can't really stay around. So he just kind of walks around following Diana. They try and do that flip of the first movie where he is now the slightly naive one in this world, but it's played for laughs, which doesn't feel as compelling as 
her kind of naivety in wartime London feeling almost aspirational. Mm-hmm. Um, in in this, it's just like it's like oh you 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 sweet pretty dummy you you just don't understand. And some of the stuff he doesn't understand feels like a bit of a stretch as well. <laughs> But um, on the other hand, some of the stuff he does understand yeah. feels like a stretch. Like he like flies a, a 1980s jet. era jet, yes. and I was like, dude, there were like barely cars when you were alive. Like, what? <laughs> how how do you even know how to drive a car? Like, I've seen those cars on Downton Abbey. Yeah. They are not comparable no. to the cars that are in the 1980s. Yeah, right. Uh, Laura turned to me when they, when she was like, "Where have they gone that there are planes?" So I was like, "Well, I I think it's the." It's the Smithsonian, so I think they've got like exhibit planes. She's like, but why would they still be able to fly? And I was yeah. like, they, yeah. they might. Maybe and they're they fully use, fueled. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe they use them for demonstrations and stuff. And she's like, and how would he be able to? And I was like, Laura, I can't <laughs> yeah. answer all of these questions because, like, at this point, there's a magical fucking wishing stone, and I've accepted that, so I have to accept this as well. <laughs> Okay, I will, just to totally, just to give a little more positivity, I do think some of the comedy, the fish-out-of-water comedy stuff worked maybe better for me than it sounds like it did for you, Joe. I, I think that, like, it's not as quite as clever as the first one, but, like, okay, makeover montage, that's fun. I think Chris Pine is good at, at like, on the escalator, that was a good mix of, like, funny comedy, but also sort of, like, mm. genuine awe in a way that was kind of moving, and I liked that. Um, so some of this stuff is working for me. I thought the joke about radar <laughs> was really funny and, and her being like, oh shoot, this exists. And he's like, well shit, Diana, why didn't you tell me that before we sold this plane? So like some of this stuff again, like this is when I'm starting to raise question marks about like, where's this going? But like, it's mostly still working for me at this point. I do, I do have to make one point briefly here, which is to, just to go back to the, the introduction of Steve Trevor he just kind of ambles onto the side of the frame, and that was one of the that was one of the first <laughs> things that really threw me. I was like, "Wait, that's how you're doing this?" He's just kind of walking up and being like, "Oh, hey, hey, I'm Diana, back now. yeah, hey, yeah, no, it's me. No, it's not. Oh, something that I said to you seventy years ago. It <laughs> is you." And I was like, "What?" No. (laughs) I also, I could not get over the idea that, like she says, you know, metaphorically, I only see you. But I was like, yeah, but literally you're seeing this other guy. Like, (laughs) you are seeing someone else's face. It's like almost weird to me that now you're showing me Chris Pine. Like, I'm like, this is a separate person. Like that, you are not looking at Chris Pine. You are, you are in this world of this movie. You are looking at bland man who I think has starred in a bunch of Hallmark movies before. (laughs) I sort of wondered if the only reason they did that was because... Like, they wanted to conceal the fact that the character had come back so that it stayed continuous with Justice League, maybe? Because is it, is it Batman or Batman v Superman or Justice League where Batman's like, I looked him up and, you know, I know I know you care about him, but he's gone or whatever. And it's like, well, yeah, but he was back in the 80s for a little bit. <laughs> But you could, you could. But get bigger past things that were happening. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like there was nuclear war happening. Every <laughs> who had time to write down that he, Steve Trevor was back. Uh, uh, so they they do the invisible jet there. Oh, that was the other joke I liked when oh, she yeah, said, was... "I'd only done the coffee. I'd only done it once as a coffee cup, and I lost it, so I don't know if it became <laughs> invisible at some <laughs> point." And I, I thought that sequence was fun. Yeah, it, it was um, very cute. And the, and the fireworks were nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and this that, to me is that... the last, like, 
after this, it reaches a turn. The fireworks are like the pinnacle of when I'm trusting this movie. And after <laughs> this, it's like a steady yeah. drop off of confidence. Okay. So Maxwell Lord has gone to the Middle East to take a wish from like one of the richest oil barons in the world. Ugh. And he's get, he's going to take all of his, all of his oil and all of his men or whatever. And in return, let him build a wall around an Egyptian city that his, that the oil barons family claim that they that they they have a claim to claim to yeah and that everyone else is settlers and it's at this moment that i'm going oh star and producer of this (laughs) movie is israeli gal gadot i i mean i don't i i can't think of something i feel less qualified to talk about than you know the the israel-palestine conflict i just I don't know. I don't have a strong opinion on either side, but it felt to me like just so misjudged for this giant blockbuster with an Israeli star to be wading into Middle Eastern politics mm-hmm. and talking about who had a right to certain land. Mm-hmm. I was just like agape that that was a direction that they thought was a, a good one to go in when that action sequence in the middle that could be happening with Texan oil barons, right? Yeah. Why even? Oil? I mean, the, like the body swap element, where I'm like, why did you introduce this and do nothing with it? The introducing the Middle East as a setting, it's like that also has no pay. Like it's just sort of. It's like why did you choose to do this? Like it, there's just they literally go. They fly to Egypt in one plane. I don't know where they refuel. <laughs> Literally the next morning they're back in America. That was when I was like, what is happening? Like it's not like okay, we're making some big potentially controversial swing, but we're really delving into it thoughtfully. It's just like for absolutely no reason we went to Egypt for one day mm-hmm. to deliver mm-hmm. some problematic politics and also a really crappy action scene. And now oh, we're back in America is... and we forgot that that happened. It's that that action sequence is it, it's so poor. I thought I thought the only thing that looked kind of good in it was the truck flipping, and then I was like, ten, fifteen years on from the Dark Knight, that that doesn't feel exciting to me anymore. And it, and also, you've not done it as well. Uh, other than that, I'm like, and it, and I guess as well because that sequence starts and you're not fully aware that she's losing her powers. It just all be it just all seems a bit naff. And, and also I was watching that and going, is this the first real action set piece since the mall? It is. Because it kind of is. I, I, I don't think you can count the plane taking off as an action sequence. It just takes off. <laughs> yeah, there's a long gap without action. I mean, clearly I think somebody just panicked that there was not enough action and they threw this scene in and... I guess they just figured oil, I don't know, is relevant to the 80s. I, I, this whole choice to tie it to oil... Because like you guys said, like it, he's just supposed to be, you know, a rich, hollow businessman. That could be any business, any industry. Mm. It's such a weirdly specific and yet not ultimately relevant choice in so many ways. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, one of our uh, listeners tweeted me after I put my initial thoughts on Twitter about this and was, and was saying, like, oh, didn't didn't know whether they were going to rent it for fifteen ninety nine, which is what it costs in the UK. Um and um and you know maybe it was one that they would wait and see in the cinemas like like they would with tenor and i was like 
Tenet is a movie that is worth seeing on a big screen, mm-hmm. even if even if you know you kind of come away from it going, that didn't make sense. I couldn't hear anything, and I thought it was a bit crap. <laughs> because it 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 still does have some of those those kind of really fun action sequences, and um, and and actually, you know, for a big action movie, not as many. Um, but still, like when the action turns up, uh, it's you know. Nolan's really good with the kind of the hand-to-hand fighting, that kind of like close-up practical action. Um, I wouldn't recommend anyone sees this on the big screen, even if they got the opportunity to, because it actually feels like a movie that is perfect. Is, is perfect for streaming. The eighties aesthetic makes it feel cheap, and yeah. that feels at home on the small screen. And you know, I, I streamed this in four K as well, and I was just, I was just kind of like. Huh. To, to every action sequence, and I know everyone. I know everyone thinks the the final sequence of the first Wonder Woman is bad, and I I agree the fight with Ares is bad. It looks it looks like shitty Snyderverse action, um, but the, at least the Steve Trevor stuff going on in that final act and the the moment that they share together and his little side mission is is a little bit interesting. I thought the I thought the third act action in this was atrocious. Yeah, the CGI <laughs> just, in this is like really poor. It's to the weird, point where isn't I was it? like, they had I, so I long. Was... Yeah, you know, go ahead. I was gonna say they they had so long to to pick over this film, like it kept getting delayed, and yet it still still ended up looking bad. Like I just don't understand it. I was almost wondering if they reached a point where they're like, okay, we're putting this on streaming for a lot of people, so let's just stop working on CGI. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I thought that I thought the flying looked bad. I thought like yeah, like I believed Superman could fly in a 1977 <laughs> movie or whatever it was. I didn't believe that Wonder Woman could that, fly. That's literally what I thought. I was like, oh, you won't you won't really believe a woman can fly. <laughs> The other thing that really made me laugh is when she was in the plane with Steve and she was like, this is the one thing I could never learn, how to fly a plane. And I was like, girl, you could. You've been alive for 70 years. I promise you. Like, people learn to fly planes in a normal human lifespan. You could do that yeah. if you would like to. I've, <laughs> I've seen Groundhog Day. The possibilities are yeah. endless. <laughs> they really are. Okay, I think an- another reason that I think this plays, like, maybe better on TV is it feels very episodic. Like, this almost feels like these could be a couple episodes of a Wonder woman tv show Mm -hmm. and i think part of what makes the action scenes particularly the egypt one feel so hollow is that like halfway through i was like what is even like what is the what is she trying to achieve now oh she's just trying to get close enough to max lord to have a conversation about the stone (laughs) like it it feels like she is causing so much i guess she's not trying to cause it It was because they started firing at her but this whole thing it's like if she hadn't been there none of this would have been happening in a dangerous way it was like no you know, Wonder Woman maybe is not the character who's out there solving mysteries and tracking down people and trying to track the stone. It's like, you know, in the first one, she had this real pure, like, I want to stop Ares. And then, okay, I see bad guys here, so I'm just going to try to stop them. But I don't think Wonder Woman, you know, for all her strengths, is like the best detective, maybe. (laughs) And her sort of way of trying to speak to Max Lord, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, we don't need a whole action scene so that you can have a one second conversation where he says, I became the stone. And then three scenes from now, you can finally remember that that happened and say, oh, I think he became the stone. (laughs) Just get his phone number. It would have been so much quicker. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. Like, I know that there's some urgency, but 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 
to some extent, she was also causing the urgency yeah, by like making yeah. a fight scene where there didn't need to be one. And I, I, I need to ask you guys a question if you if you felt the same way as I did. So Diana is, you know, she's trying to get to Maxwell Lord. She's trying to ask him this question that she's getting shot at and the trucks are bashing together and she's been shot. And then some kids are playing football in the road. <laughs> now, first of all, rookie mistake. Um, <laughs> Play play Kirby. That's safer. Um, but they're playing they're playing football in the road, and Diana because she's uh, uh, you know she's a superhero. She goes, I need to abandon what I'm doing and save these children. So she swings in on her lasso of truth and grabs. Is it like two or three of them up in one yeah, arm? Two, yeah. And it and it looks absurd the way that she sweeps them up, but she does, and she grabs them, and then. Because she's losing her powers, the lasso kind of like lose. She loses the grip and she falls to the ground. And I went, "Oh, those children are dead." <laughs> yeah, I I was like, "Their skulls have been crushed. Those children are dead." Uh, but they were fine. <laughs> I, I was went, just like, "Those children are dolls." Because if you watch that scene where she falls, <laughs> yeah. like I, a lot of times there's you know bad bad things that in slow motion or if somebody puts a gif and really points it out to me, I can be like, "Oh yeah, that actually looks really crappy." I probably wouldn't have noticed it in the movie. This was like first watch. I wasn't trying to look for this at all. It is the most obvious. She is just holding two mannequins that are not real human beings yeah. and rolling with them that I've ever seen in a movie. But that's <laughs> what I mean. I was like, the way she hits the deck, I was like, their skulls have both been crushed. Yeah, right? Those children would be dead. It's <laughs> just like, what, what, what is going on here? And um, also the only reason you had to save them is because you caused a catastrophe that then you uh, had to save them from. <laughs> so... They go back to America, and this is when shit gets really wild from kind of a wider world point of view. Like, so many people having their wishes granted by Maxwell Lord. He kind of reveals... He's getting weaker and weaker, but he's like, oh, don't worry, I can fix that because I can just wish for health off other people. Like, okay, so why are we doing it in the first place then? I don't know. It's what he takes. It's what he... I think the idea is that he cannot wish for things. He everybody only gets one wish for themselves. So he wished to be yeah. the stone, but because he's the stone, when other people wish, he can take something from them in the way that, like, you know, Barbara turns yes. into a yeah. glamorous woman but loses. So he like takes people's, you know, he he gives someone a Ferrari and then he takes the like health of their kidney and that's how he's like. Yes, I know. So I understand himself. that, but what I mean is why why is he getting weaker in the first mm. place? Because because he's not. He's not making wishes there other people are, so why is it making him weaker? I was sort of assuming, because there must be a consequence for him for wishing to become the stone, right? If the stone always takes something from you. So it was almost like it took, oh. either it took his health or it took like, it was almost like he had a compulsion to grant wishes in some way. But again, it's something that would have been far more effective if it was spelled out. But it does feel like whatever his monkey's paw thing, you know, consequence was for wishing to become the stone is maybe why he's falling apart in the way he is and and his his kind of emotional connection is to his son who uh is a young you know a young boy who keeps turning up presumably being dropped off by (laughs) his mother and maxwell lord kind of it's like well he loves him but he doesn't have the time for him right now because he's focused on becoming the rich man which again just feels like, I, I didn't feel any of it until we got that Max flashback at the end. Mm-hmm. 
And then Max is going around granting all these wishes. He grants his son's wish, but his son just wishes for him to be great. And it's treated like this, like, huge moment. I'm like, but isn't that what's happening anyway? Isn't he... Yeah, so, I, I I genuinely was watching that scene going like, oh no, he's like, his son has wished for something. He's going to have to take a huge prize from the son. And then he doesn't. Yeah. And I'm like, D- yeah. did he not grant that wish? Like, yeah, and you I, feel like that's the moment for him where he's like, oh no, like I've accidentally endangered deal. my son. Yeah, but it it doesn't and this, come and this back is, again. This is why the monkey's paw seems dumb because like it, you can do it. You can, you can do stuff like that in a movie like this but when you have so many moments where the roles the rules don't seem consistent Mm -hmm. or they don't make sense at the moment that you don't they have to be explained later you just you it give it the movie gives you so much scope to go this is stupid bullshit yeah what did you guys think of pedro pascal's performance apart from loved him thought he was great thought he was the best thing about the movie it was very funny yeah (laughs) He does fully commit, like, yes, the level of ham that the movie is asking for him is, like, he fully commits to that in a way that's very entertaining to watch. That meme we were talking about in the first scene is, uh, sorry, in the, in the, at the start of the podcast is his introductory scene. He comes, he comes in at that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is great. He's a, he's like a TV huckster. Um, but then that's why I, I kind of, I kind of had one version of what I thought he was in my mind. Um, but then he seems to go from huckster to pure evil, and, and I spent then the mo- from I- pure evil to full redemption. We've forgiven literally everything he's done <laughs> in, yeah. in 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 a snap. <laughs> but and, and I also didn't really know what he wanted, and I don't know whether that I, I don't know whether that was part of the idea. He wants more. Yeah, that he just he just continues wanting more. But I was like, but but also. I kind of need to have something to grab onto in this movie of yeah. what what is the end game here? And it seemed like the end game for the movie was nuclear. There will be nuclear destruction mm-hmm. of the world. That's that's why we need to stop this. Um, but for his but for his character, I, again, it seems like he just has a complete mental break where he completely disconnects from the consequences. But then. I could kind of get that if that was the thing that the stone took from him in the first place. Mm-hmm. It was like, I grant your ambition, but I take you away any of the, I don't know. Yeah, well, the ability to be satisfied by it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Perfect. But That's no, but no, you, it. but what it takes away is his health, uh, which yeah. is something that, that he can fix. Yeah. I, so, but I yeah, I, d- like, I thought he was great. <laughs> yes. I think the performance is really successful. I think, the, the idea of centering the biggest emotional arc of a Wonder Woman room movie around redeeming the villainous bad guy Trump stand-in is, again, one of the most bizarre choices this movie <laughs> could have made. And I know that there are, like, crucial ways in which he's not just a Trump stand-in. It's, like, diverging and, and, and you know, like, then trying to comment on, like, the immigrant experience and racism and how yeah. people could become evil <sighs> as as compensation and i was like these are so many ideas to unpack in like you've mentioned joe like the last Mm. three minutes of this movie (laughs) but that it ultimately ends on like our our i guess not our hero but like you know it's a very heroic moment where he's reunited with his son i feel like i wrote down some line about that but oh like like, and the kid the kid is just like you don't need to make me proud i already love you and i'm like (laughs) 
but like, his son okay, who's but also, just like, wandering, he... wandering around on the garden outside this remote military base that they've gone off to. Right. Why also, is, like, why it's is he nice... there? It's nice that your son loves you, but like, you should go to jail. You almost <laughs> blew up the whole world. I'm I'm all for abolishing the prison industrial complex, but I do feel like people of Maxwell Lord's level should probably have some consequences for their actions, and one of them might be the inability to do something like this again. Yeah, but again, I think that's because because Patty Jenkins has spent the majority uh, has made this movie with full knowledge of what that character is and why he is the way he is, but doesn't doesn't bother to impart any of that information to you the audience until that final 10 minutes so you're watching this movie going this is a trump stand-in and what you what you should really be watching the movie going is this is a guy who has been conned by the donald trumps of this world Mm -hmm. who has who has seen this uh, who has seen this this manifest greed and fetishization of wealth and gold everywhere and has gone that is what i want that is what this country that i have been shunned in that's what they see as success and i want that so he has spent his and and i think the flashback sequence is 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 actually quite moving Mm -hmm. i i i think the the dh pedro pascal looks good i like i just i thought it it does more efficient storytelling in that 30 seconds than it does in the other two and a half hours of the movie. And you go, right, so that's what this character is. He is a character who has aspired to what this society in the 1980s and and what I think Patty Jenkins is getting at and what that has manifest in the decades since. He is aspiring towards that, but the re- <laughs> the the it's the the kind of the the hollowness of the american dream is that mm-hmm. the american dream exists for those people like donald trump who were born with it it doesn't exist for you it's not attainable for you and you've been sold this bill of goods and actually yeah you are one of the victims but because but- you've spent a movie watching this guy commit all these horrific acts with none of that context you never you never have that degree of sympathy for him up to that moment and because he becomes so fucking unhinged and just goes like like oprah handing out wishes at the end <laughs> in a movie that is established you need to touch people and then they go I, uh, so i can touch people through the airways yeah. I, gu- <laughs> I, I guess you could say that ah and and yeah so i i think that that's why it doesn't track and that because i i don't think patty jenkins has made the movie thinking this is a villain but she has also made a movie that spends the first two hours saying this is the villain and not yeah. and not and just really just he's a bit of a hapless one rather than uh, he's been fucked over uh but you know has still done terrible things and and you're right caroline regardless of the wider context at the end of the movie, you can't have that moment and think, oh, good for them. Right. Well, that's the thing. Like, a lot of people, very tragically, are 
victims who go on to victimize other people and you can be sympathetic mm. to the you know the difficulties that they had but that doesn't mean that there should be we can't just live in a world where oh if you had a tragic backstory there are no consequences for you so that part of it really bothers me especially in comparison to how barbara's treated and barbara's wish is just like i'd like to be cool and the movie's like fuck you you're evil <laughs> and you should like have no redemption and pedro pascal's like i would like to blow up the world with nuclear wars and i was like oh but you had a hard childhood so it's fine you can just live with no consequences mm. i also think the very idea that like if you dig into these donald trump types they all have like complex sympathetic backstories is kind of fundamentally a lie that our media feeds us. Like, you mm. know, like this, I like, I, it is interesting that she's like, what if we imagined that type with a background that was influenced by racism? But like, I don't think that the majority of this archetype that she's trying to explore fit into that. So it's sort of like but, you're making something more interesting and tragic than it, than it is well, in the real world. That's like a good point about, cause like, I don't know if either of you have read The Psychopath Test by John Ronson. Yes. Yeah. So in that in that book, he does an exploration of whether a disproportionate number of businessmen are psychopaths. And like the part of the the sort of thesis is that people who are really successful, like, you know, billionaire level businessmen tend to lack empathy. Mm-hmm. If only you had a character around with which you could explore the theme of empathy. Yeah. right and it's not just like oh they need someone to remind them of their empathy and then they can have it that's like the myth that we have that's like oh donald trump will eventually turn around because he can be reminded of his empathy i think we have to be better at being like no some people that's not possible for them and they just let those people have power Mm -hmm. like even to the extent like to tie this into Tenet, which is also, you know, the summer's big blockbuster, there was like, a, you know, a lot of jokes going around because there's one line in the movie where they realize the whole world's going to be destroyed. And, and one woman says, oh, my God, that means my son will also die. Which, like, yes, that's very silly. And I get what people made fun of it. In this Car- movie, Caroline, sorry, it literally... Just, just, yeah. just to pause on that, it's, it's, she's, it's like the entire world will be destroyed. And then she literally says, including my son. <laughs> exactly. So absolutely it's ridiculous. Absurd. But in this movie... We are literally at the point where where Maxwell Lord has encouraged nuclear war to happen. And it literally takes Diana to say, oh, by the way, that means your son will also die. For him to go, oh, my God, that means my son will also die. So I was like, at least the girl in Tenet was ahead of him. Like, yeah. she thought of that on her own. He needs someone to remind him that having a nuclear holocaust for the entire world will mean that his son will die and that he doesn't want that to happen. Yeah, Again, some... this is not a good role model that should, like, be worthy of his son's admiration. As someone who has a child, I can honestly say, like, I can't switch on the fucking light without thinking like, oh, great, destroying the planet. This is my daughter's planet that I'm wrecking. Right. The idea that someone would have to remind me like, oh, you know, your daughter lives on Earth too. (laughs) Yeah. And then to immediately go into such a glowing redemption. Like that to me. So my my mom pretty much likes every movie. Like she's a very easy to please (laughs) moviegoer. I have never seen her more mad than at the amount of redemption this movie gave to the Donald Trump stand-in. And I sort of think that's very justified. Like, Again, throwing in a little bit of tragic backstory really quickly, even if that's a very compelling sequence, you know, on its own, that does not, that does not just mean like, okay, sorry that you, it's fine that you tried to blow up the whole planet. Like you were, you were, you had a challenging childhood. Like a lot of people have I, challenging childhoods and don't go on to blow up an entire planet. So there are. I, yeah, that's. that's and again, I think point, it's, it? I think it's, I think it's totally in the execution again. It's because I, I don't think he is intended to be a Donald Trump, Trump stand in but he plays as one. He's intended to be a victim of the culture that Donald Trump kind of typifies. 
but the movie sells him as for, for such a long time as just another trump but he also tries even if we're taking trump out of it entirely he's just a comic book villain who almost blows up the entire world like that alone yeah. means that you shouldn't get the super sympathetic yeah. ending i don't think at the very least bundle him into a police car please yeah i also think my one of my biggest probably my single biggest disappointment with this movie is how it treats barbara's arc because again i was so locked into mm. the beginning I was so locked into like her sort of catwoman like transformation where now she's becoming cool and sexy and is she going to be able to give up those you know having all of her dreams fulfilled or whatever. I felt and like that the... that felt intentional, do you agree? Oh, for like sure. I th- I thought the the opening oh, sequence yeah, yeah, yeah. was meant to feel Donneresque and I think that Kristen Wiig was supposed to feel catwoman-esque. Yeah. And in a, and I think they do it really well. Like again, I think all that stuff at the beginning is so fun. But then at the end of the movie, Diana's literally just like, Barbara, give up your wish. And Barbara says no. And she's like, okay, I guess I'll have to electrocute you. And like, she's so dismissive of her. And it's like to everyone else, like, Diana, you just grappled with how hard it was to give up your wish. You are so sympathetic to Maxwell Lord's sort of like need for power. Barbara was just a really nice woman Mm -hmm. who wanted to be slightly cooler. Her like crime was attacking a man who tried to sexually assault her in a park and this movie has zero empathy for her at the end. I think only the... saves her in what I I feel like was a reshot that <laughs> clarified that she was alive because that yeah. doesn't ever come uh... back. And then there's no scene where it's like Diana and Barbara like mend fences or Diana's like, okay, Barbara, I want to like reach out to you with my empathy and help you understand why your wish was so was so problematic and like how we can help you now. Like there's none of that empathy she so she shows to Maxwell Lord. She shows to Barbara, who is a much much less villainous character. But that's another problem with the way they implement the rules of the Wishing Stone is that the thing that Barbara gives up is the inability to take back her wish, essentially. So it's not it's not that she even you she she isn't given a moral dilemma. Barbara mm. isn't in 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 the second half of the movie isn't given anything to grapple with. She just becomes badass, and then because it is taken away. Which and we wouldn't again. My wife and I were sat on the sofa trying to figure out. So what has specifically Barbara lost? Then what mm-hmm. has she given up? Mm-hmm. And it and and it's this hand wavy scene where it's like, um, every positive character trait <laughs> they're gone. You you've you've, you've lost yeah. all of those. Um, and I, I think that's in that uh, that fight scene in the White House, which there's a there's a shot where uh, Diana is crumpled up against the mm-hmm. wall, and I was like, who thought that this that that like that felt like a a, a good shot composition you know the the way the, the, the way that she sat the angle that you're shooting her from the the dialogue that you're having her deliver i was just like fucking hell that that, that was the, it was moments like that where i was like this is a catastrophe <laughs> this is this is irredeemably shit <laughs> just just while I we're on of... sorry just while we're on no, um, barbara someone tweeted me uh pugs on my name tweeted me uh, in speech marks i wish we had a two and a half hour cheetah slash cheetah pun and then bill for 200 million dollars arrive <laughs> and i was like oh yeah i wonder oh. if that's what they thought they were doing uh maybe i sort of took it as that barbara in exchange for her powers like lost her humanity because she was so like kind she's like okay i'm feeding this homeless person it's so vague, and then that though, it was sort it? of like it which I was sort. I actually think again, if this movie had been more focused on Barbara, which I think it should have been, there's yeah. an interesting thing to go. Okay, she gets powers. 
we could have a scene where she's very justified in beating up a man who sexually assaulted her or tried to sexually assault her rather in a park at least physically assault her like if you rewatch that scene where that guy it's not like he just cat calls her like he literally grabs her shoulders and tries to throw her to the ground mm-hmm. which is like way beyond you know what i mean like that's that's there's a either there's a world in which it's a guy who's gross but he just cat called her and the way she responds when she has her powers is so out of proportion or there's a world in which her first attack feels very justified but that's where she sort of gets the hunger for it and we start seeing her attacks become less and less justified i think that could be an interesting arc but it happens so quickly and it's just so immediately the idea that like her beating up this man who tried to accost her when she had no powers just is like a hundred percent villainous it's the most villainous music we could imagine and now for the rest of the movie there's no hope for barbara and i was like geez like what for such an an empathetic like character and franchise this is the least empathetic mm. approach you could take to your villain who was set up so sympathetically at the beginning and I, I, and there's there's such potential because she's set up sympathetically you've got Kristen Wiig doing her her full on comedy which is great in that first act mm-hmm. and then and then when they do the transformation i mean like this <laughs> don't mean to bad mouth Kristen Wick here, who is a, you know, very attractive woman, but I didn't think that she was going to have a Michelle Pfeiffer-esque transformation. But fuck, she does! And, like, the, the movie just makes her, like, the way that it shoots her, you're like, yeah, holy shit, she has Yeah, she got, looks incredible. She looks incredible, she moves with such confidence. It's a, it's a great full-body performance from Kristen Wick, where she just sells this complete transformation of the character... And at this point, you're going like, oh, yeah, they they could be onto something here. Um, but it ignores her for much of the second act. And I, I also thought, given the way that they set the two characters up early, there was such an opportunity to, if you're not going to do something with Diana and... Um, and I, I keep forgetting her name. What's her name? Kristen Wiig's character? Barbara. Barbara, Barbara Minerva. Barbara, sorry. So yeah, if you're not going to do something with Diana and Barbara, then do it with Max and Barbara, mm-hmm. who have have both made wishes, have given up different things, and, you know, could both be kind of pulling on the thing that, you know, could both be egging each other on, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and having this kind of weird, twisted, fucked up romance in the middle of the movie as well, potentially. Um, but when those characters are reunited in the White House, I genuinely forgot in that scene that they'd met. <laughs> they'd even met, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 genu- I, I genuinely like forgot. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh yeah, the, the yeah the the start of the movie, which feels like a lifetime ago <laughs> at this point. Meanwhile, yeah. at this point, Steve Trevor is still knocking around, not really contributing anything other than following following diana around looking pretty and then going look i really should go shouldn't i and she goes, <laughs> and she goes ah yeah, yeah yeah you probably should and, and okay I, that, I, can i go back to my fix for this well, back yes, to my outline please. fix okay again to me the reason to bring steve trevor back is because Diana has had no one to talk to about her crazy life for the whole time she's been on Earth because she's kind of decided, she's presumably decided she's not going to reveal her powers to anyone. Mm -hmm. So to me, you bring Steve back, and that's when you have all the catch-up on what she's been doing for the past 66 years. Because to me, Steve, if you wake up there, you'd be like, oh my gosh, tell me what happened to like all of our friends back in World War I. Like that whole group of wonderful ensemble characters that we all love from the first film. Mm -hmm. Like, how did their lives turn out? And then Diana can be like, 
you know, it was really hard. Like this one got cancer and died and this one I lost touch with and Etta, you know, she survived the longest, but then even she died. And that was when I realized I can't have human contact anymore. So I cut myself off. And even if, even if we don't think Gal Gadot can sell all that, like you have the device of her lasso can have flashbacks. So you can do all that <laughs> in flashbacks. You don't need to just have it be a monologue, but that is when you can tie it become, I think the movie could have made it less like, Diana loves Steve. The only way she'll be happy is with Steve. And it could have been more like this period in her life that Steve represents that really was like foundational to her understanding of humanity. This like World War One adventure from the first movie that he could be representative of that whole thing. And he's the outlet to explore what her mindset was then and how her mindset has been over the past 66 years. And then when he's sort of arguing like Diana, the way you've been living is not healthy then that just rings so much truer other than her being like, you're the only joy I've ever experienced. You're all I think about every day. I just want to have a boyfriend and be normal. And that it's like not tied to anything broader about her heroism. It's just, she just comes across like, Oh, I just want my boyfriend back. And it just feels it does, like such it, a disservice it, it, to her. It comes across like a teenage tantrum. And you know, uh, me, someone who thinks that that relationship was wonderful in the first movie and they had such so much chemistry and i love those characters together i'm watching the second movie going why is he here he was he was just some fucking dude get over yeah. it, it was 70, it was years, 70 ago. years ago just drop it there's loads of other he was men. literally that, the first guy you met yeah, yeah. there's some there's, there's a man that's that, that, that he's now in his body he, is it he might be all right yeah i mean she meets him. him she does meet that guy later doesn't she it's so reassuring there in the scene where she is essentially throwing the tam- the tantrum, Steve just goes like, Diana, that's crazy. Like, everything you're saying is crazy. I was like, thank God. Like, that is actually, like, I'm glad the movie recognizes that at least, which I was unclear if they did at that point. But I think either you make it so she's moved on and Steve isn't in this movie, or if you want to bring Steve back, tie him to something broader than mm-hmm. just her love for him. Tie it to her identity, her, immor- her immortality, and her, like, feeling lost without her, you know, without Fimus Gear. Like, tie it to something broader that is about her whole arc, not... And it's a disservice to him, too, because when he wakes up, he literally doesn't care about anything but her. But I'm like, if you, you know, he was living a full life, it would be very disconcerting to wake up 70 years later. I think you'd want to know what happened to your yeah. parents. Like, you'd want to know what's happened <laughs> you in the You might want to know like, if you, you won just... the war. <laughs> no, yeah, like... but no, no one in this movie has an exterior life beyond the thing that they're doing right at that moment. Yeah. Barbara has the museum and the person she obsesses over is the person she met a day previously. Yeah. <laughs> Diana has meals on her own and the museum. She has no wider friendships. That's why the the, the, the photo of Etta Candy, I was like, oh, that's sweet that they remained friends mm-hmm. through to her being in old age. Where are her friends now? I mean, right. <laughs> I'm like, does she get on with the other people at the museum? Um, Caroline is probably won't mean much to you but i enjoyed the asim chowdhury british comedian was one of the <laughs> one of the random random people in the museum that was fun um or if the but, point uh, is that she doesn't have friends which i think is ostensibly the point make that more explicit this is not the time to be subtle in this big yeah. over-the-top superhero movie this is not the time to be subtle about your character arc make it make it more of a thing for her to solve the fact that she has like lost the ability to have relationships and that that's a major thing she needs to overcome yeah yeah absolutely um i've got another important question about the third act of this movie for both Mm -hmm. of you um a lot of people have said they were quite confused about the president uh because he kind of looks 
Reagan-esque enough to potentially be Reagan, but also enough not that it isn't. Um, But my main complaint was he looked enough like a withered Michael Shannon that I was like, is this General Zod? (laughs) I could see that. (laughs) And especially because in that scene, I'm getting Superman 2 vibes, right? With the villain waltzing into the Oval Office yeah. and being like... But again, I wanted... I, I did wonder there where, you know, if you're making... If you're making this kind of comment on... Uh, the greed of the 80s and... That, you know, the, the kind of peak capitalist Reagan era politics... Creating a character like Maxwell Lord... It's really discordant for then to, to walk into the Oval Office and it and it just be a random guy. I kind of feel like it should have been Reagan if you're making a socio-political statement in your movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that felt really strange to me. And then the choices that they made with the president himself, odd performance, um, like, I don't know, it's just like, He's doddering and confused in that in that sequence. It's it's really. I've got to say, yeah. this registers pretty low on my list of problems with the film. <laughs> like, I get what you're saying. I feel like by this point, I was already so confused. Yeah. But, but I'll be honest with you. I genuinely was sat there going, "Oh, this is like Superman two with General Zod. Oh, General Zod's General Zod's in this universe as well. It's Michael Shannon. Oh my God, that guy looks like like prune Michael Shannon." <laughs> I did have the question of, is this supposed to be Reagan or not? I think I landed on it's not supposed to be him, but it was confusing. But I agree that by this point, it's like, because the characters themselves are all confused. Like he, his first scene, he's like, I don't know how I got here because he's sort of been wished there. And this is at the same time as we're seeing things with like a guy's like, I wish for cows and they're here and I'm confused by that. And just everyone's confused, which makes me confused as an audience (laughs) member because there's nothing to latch on to here. It's just like chaos. that's a weird thing to throw in at that stage of the movie as well, that like, oh, right, so the implication there is that that Max has made a wish and because he's wished to see the president wherever he was before, now he's just in the Oval Office. Right. So is that how wishes have been operating all the way through the movie? Like, why did why did Steve not turn up immediately? Why did Barbara's powers kind of not manifest immediately why did why did like um why did we see the wall lit literally rising around the city like maybe there's a difference okay this is me doing a lot of work the movie's doing none of this but maybe because barbara and diana made their wishes when it was still a stone maybe those wishes operated more subtly but once max became the stone he was like screw it i'm just doing everything instantaneously and that made more chaos although the stone is supposed to cause chaos in and of itself because that's how all the other civilizations fell so that's not really an answer at all now that i think about it <laughs> but the but the chaos of the stone is that the stone has theoretically in and of itself been choosing the things to take away previously and now max is max is just doing that job of choosing it for himself right yeah but we shouldn't you know we shouldn't be having to explain this we talk through this so much could you imagine if on our infinity war episode we had discussed the logic of how the stones do the things that the stones do in that movie 
That's that's a movie with a magical gauntlet that has five mm. different infinity stones that all have power over different elements. And the movie just kind of goes in different moments. Right, can you see how the green one's shining now? He's about to do something with time. Yeah. Oh, time is cranked back thirty seconds. So you go. Yeah, yeah, okay, fine. How about yeah? I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm not even thinking about it. I will say I don't always not have those questions with Marvel, particularly at the end of Endgame. I have a lot of questions about Thanos' level of power at certain points with (laughs) or without the stones. So to me, this is not a fully uncommon thing, but I think the fact that the stone in like within the text of the film is supposed to be confusing for people just adds to the level of confusion along Mm. with the lackluster storytelling of how they are explaining the confusion really amplifies it more than most comic book movies are. It, I I always it it comes to mind for me because I I wrote a review that literally that literally referenced this at the time. Um, Green Lantern came out in the same year or like within six months of Thor, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and Thor is not a movie that I think is you know wildly successful, but it's a solid th- solid three star movie for me. Uh, that kind of does a job of introducing those characters and there's there's not a point in the third act of that movie that i'm going wait so loki can disguise himself as other people what thor can fly when he's holding the hammer what but when i what but when i watch green lantern i'm going this ring is fucking dumb What what and he's saying these words into a lantern and he's doing and it's it, there's you know there's nothing well, I don't know, but there's nothing hugely more unbelievable or stupid about the idea of Green Lantern on the page than there is Thor. You know, like mm-hmm. if you can, yeah, if you can sell, yeah, if you can sell me on the idea of a Norse god with a hammer turning up in modern day America, um, and uh, yeah, and, and fighting a giant robot in a in a small town. If you can sell me on all of that stuff, you can also sell me on this guy has a has a ring yeah. that he can that helps him manifest anything he wants. That's both of those things should be fine. But the way that one movie it, it executes it is is so poor compared to the other one that I walk out of those going I'm with you, I'm not with you. And you know, it's the same like um I and I've I've said, brought this up a million times on the podcast the end of the first Avengers movie in the Battle of New York when Stellan Skarsgård turns around and says I built a failsafe into this so I think I can close the portal you should be going fuck off mate <laughs> no you didn't no you didn't you were, you were hypnotised you didn't, you, you didn't build a failsafe into that but I'm watching it and I'm going uh, yeah sure whatever he said because um, over here Iron Man is fighting this robot and Cats America's doing this thing and Black Widow's doing that and and, and I'm I, I don't have time to think about that's not important I don't care yeah mm-hmm. but when and I think watching this at home has certainly contributed when I watch a movie like Wonder Woman and I spend so much time going well why didn't she just do that and not even like this doesn't make sense I'm literally questioning like well, why didn't Wonder Woman just try that? Or could she have said that thing here? Or could she have done... Like you were saying, like, did she need to call, cause all of that carnage just to have a conversation yeah. with Max Lord? Like, you're asking those questions. Yeah. And I do, you're not asking those questions when a movie is functioning properly. Yeah. When, even when if, the storytelling even is if you have, 
Yeah, even if there is stuff within the story that doesn't really make sense, yeah. you forgive you it because it. you're you're having such a good time. There, so but constantly in this film, I was going, I no, I'm not accepting that. <laughs> I mean, while while we're talking about MacGuffins, did anyone else get the sense that Asteria's armor and Wonder Woman's powers coming back happened in the wrong order? Because as it stands. She, yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but now that you just said that, yes. Yeah, like, she uh, says goodbye to Steve Trevor, yeah. her powers come back, then she puts on the armor and fights uh, Cheetah. Cheetah immediately disrobes her. Dis- yes, yeah, yeah. And you're just like, well, what was the point of that then? Right, the armor should have been compensation for I'm losing my powers, I'm, yeah. I'm now... Yeah, yeah vulnerable to bullets i'll put on this amazing armor so at least i can sort of have keep you're so correct (laughs) it just it feels like oh we put it in the poster so it's got to be in the film now but now so i that that to me smacked of the third act being reworked Mm -hmm. because she she doesn't have the armor with her um and i don't think it's just like you know when she's wearing the armor other times like she's not just magic magicking her costume on it's like i think her costume is either lightweight enough to carry around because let's be honest there's not that much <laughs> to it you know or or she has it on under the rest of the stuff yeah but that big fucking armor there's no way she had that no. with her she was flying to this remote base and then suddenly she turns up and she's got it on and then as you say it is destroyed really quickly and you're like well mm, some something has changed here and you're right, yeah. like that's I, I I don't think it was just a this will look cool in the marketing. I think it was a we have got an idea for this and uh, actually a creative decision means that we can no longer do that, so we kinda need to fudge the ending here. The um the Asteria thing, which is you know, it's a very fun excuse for a Linda Carter cameo at the end, as we mm-hmm. said, but I think that's actually a, another place where it could have been cool for Diana's art because she said, like, oh, when I you know, when I was stuck here alone, I went looking for her. And that's like, oh, th- that like really implies like Diana was lonely. She realized she couldn't have regular companionship with humans because she was always gonna outlive them. Mm-hmm. So like she was like, I I really want to go find another Amazon. That's the thing where it's like, okay, tie that to the Thymoscira flashback more than they do, or yeah, dig into that more because that's such an it's such a tossed off moment but that actually like tells you more about diana's arc than almost any other <laughs> point in this i really film. think you should have been a, a script consultant hollywood everything you said makes so much more sense than what i ended up in the film <laughs> but i also thought that that was strange because the way that she said that it felt like right this is from the serious second act version of wonder woman where you're going like okay there are moral dilemmas to be had there's bad shit happening and here was that you know here is this one moment where i'm going to reveal my bit of vulnerability and be like yeah i looked for this person and i couldn't find her and then as nice as it is to see linda carter that moment at the end is you know that woman you couldn't find she's just walking down the yeah. street showing showing off her powers like it's nothing and oh hey it's linda carter for a bit of fun it's not something that is going to have any future emotional resonance for Diana. Yeah, maybe you couldn't yeah, find her because there are six back. billion people. Yeah, <laughs> but do you, I, 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 I don't know, Caroline. Like, yes, they might bring Linda Carter back, but do you, do you think we're gonna like? Not even do you think we're going to? Do you think that that would be a like a a natural on screen friendship that you would buy into the, these I... two 
two actresses who are like 30, 40 years apart. I think I would like for there to be a Wonder Woman movie where one, at least one of her major relationships is with a woman. <laughs> considering oh, her defining well, identity is well, that like yeah. she's defined by sisterhood. I honestly don't care Christ. if the other person's even a good actor. If there could be one movie where 99% of the characters aren't men and then there's only one woman and she gets the least sympathetic treatment, I would love that. So I'm all for bringing Asteria back as the second lead. I genuinely, movie. during that first act, I I felt really queer baited by the end because I was just like, oh, I oh, thought yeah. I thought they were gonna be in some like, if not an active romance, at least a strong friendship, and then they just they barely interact with the rest of the film. I okay. Here's another question I have about the ending. So we we know that while Max is doing his thing and like taking powers for himself, he's giving other powers to Barbara. He's like, I'm taking your whatever strength and giving it to her. Did, was there like a cat that made a wish and he was like, okay, I'm going to take your fur and give it to her? Like, where did the fur come uh, from? She said, it was, I mean, the, the line is that she wants to be an apex predator. Well, he so. says that, but doesn't he have, I mean, sorry, she says that, but doesn't he have to physically take a wish from someone who, you know what I mean? And it, he takes someone, when someone makes a wish, he takes something from them. Yeah, and she can't and have a second it wish, right? Gives it to her. Because everyone yeah, that's, only gets that's one what wish. I also didn't. Yeah, I didn't understand that. So how she presumably, like, wish, yeah. a cheetah at a zoo was like, this is my chance. <laughs> I, I wish for more speed. And they're like, great, I give you more speed, but I take your cat-like qualities and give them to this woman that's next to me. <laughs> and, you know, it was it was always going to be hard for them to make cheetah in, you know, the full animal manifestation of it look good. Um, but this does look particularly crap, I think. Mm. I mean, could they not have just kept her? Like, maybe because I don't have a connection to the comics, I don't understand, like, how sacrilegious these things are. But, no, like, could there not have been a version where she just remains mostly human and it's, like, an yeah. abstract concept of a cheetah? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 100%. I think they could have dr- just dressed her in animal print and gotten away with it. And just kept her at that level. Yeah. I just feel there, like that would have been more satisfying. I, I mean, mean, cheetah I mean, in the uh, comics uh, this is... did dress in animal print. It's not uh, like one of the cheetahs did. It's not like it's a completely alien concept and she has to be like the full cat girl or anything it's well you know and i think this is a this is a good point to ask this question to james go on james is this maxwell lord (sighs) maxwell lord's had a a few incarnations um it's enough i I mean no (laughs) no i guess yeah so you're not you're not gonna you're not gonna sit here and say that is like this traditional uh depiction of maxwell lord in this comic book arc he is kind of this version yeah. of it's more maxwell lord is maxwell lord's a, a businessman, businessman who isn't lex luther yeah so just plug so it into by that, that yeah so by that by that token no cheetah did not need to no, have exactly. any any level of fidelity to her comic book appearance and i so i read that uh, Oh, this might have been on the podcast. Uh, I I heard that a lot of her costume was done physically, mm. so it was it was practical effects on her costume. But there's so much shit CGI going on around her in that sequence, and it's again shot in that gloomy, grim way that the that the end of the first movie was. Um, that. I, I I don't know. It looked like bad CG. It looked like I watched Cats um, <laughs> on New Year's Eve, um, and it you know it looks every bit as bad as Cats, 
does which you know famously have its digital fur technology right. and is and is a, a monstrosity um and by the way i just public service announcement a lot of people have been like oh you've got to see cats because you know it's so bad it's so, it's yeah it's going to be a guilty pleasure you're gonna it's gonna be a lot of fun it's so boring so <laughs> it's it's you it's didn't not like fu- Skimbleshanks the railway cat no fucking <laughs> fuck all of them wow rude Skimbleshanks and, is the best of the cats by and their far little, their little weird shapely cat bottoms it's it's <laughs> Honestly, the only it like it is for furries and no one else. It's it's it, it it's horrific and bad, but its biggest crime is it's really boring. Um, My favorite version of cats is the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt version. It's so <laughs> they're just like good. we just make it all up. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> right. I think I loved that. Uh, 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 I um anyway that that was a side point, but yeah, I I. I again watched the end of this movie and I was like, so did 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 Kristen Wiig get chosen for Jellicle Heaven? Is she the Jellicle <laughs> choice? Is that is that what happens to her at the end of the movie? Because she I sure didn't get well, she comes she didn't back get any resolution. She's not a cat anymore, doesn't she? she Even though she, she doesn't renounce her wish, yeah. again, logic of the film very confusing to me. But but again, but just because the implication right? So we should we should discuss this. The final sequence of this movie, Oof. and this is when I think it, this is when I think it goes full Kingsman is <laughs> Matt. Max is stood in the middle of this room going, uh, granted, granted, mm-hmm. um, uh, <laughs> your wish is granted. And it's, uh, he's having a whole lot of fun. And then Diana is like, you can't always get what you want. You have to, you can't cheat. It's, greed is not good. And, um, and he's like, I don't know why you're talking to me. I don't care about any of this. He's like, <laughs> so, no, I'm, I'm talking to them. And the so she has also reached out to the entire world. But in the meantime, the entire world has made all of these wishes. And the ones that we are shown anyway are like none of them are these like noble, understandable wishes that we that we can kind of get at the start of the movie. Like, I just want my love to I just want my true love to be back. I, you know, I, I, um, I just I just want. I, 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 or even I'm a taxi driver I would just like there to be no traffic that would be great I want my dad to love me at the end of the movie it's like I want you to fucking die and it's <laughs> oh yeah well I want all you fucking Irish to get taken off in paddy wagons and and it's just this it's just this like it's like the end of Kingsman where the end of Kingsman just takes this horrible nihilist like it's this film that, that you're like early on is like is it is is this saying anything about class and about the, you know, the the idiocy of class and that, you know, that that you can have this this working class kid that can be just as good as and maybe the rich kid can be an arsehole. And at the end of the movie, it's all of the it's all of the scumbags from a council estate trying to kill babies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's the level of nuance you get at the end of this movie yeah. as well. And you're like, fucking hell, what like there has to be some kind of given we have watched a movie where the MacGuffin is a magical wishing stone there has to be some click of the fingers and it's all undone and someone is going to wish their selfless wish is going to be I wish we were all back to where we were uh, two weeks yeah, ago yeah which is and, something and none of this something I've happened. done a lot in the last year I mean, like, presumably <laughs> yeah some people were wishing that if every single person on earth was wishing that yeah. was wishing something no, they were all just—they were all just wishing for like, ah, oh, I wish I found a fiver. <laughs> like it was, it, and then a couple of people, yeah, I wish you were dead. Um, 
But then we have this, you know, heal the world moment and, you know, just just like in real life when Gal Gadot released the Imagine video. Oh, God. Oh, God. We were we we, we were all collectively healed and um and, I and everyone it. I take it. Don't make me remember. Every, but every everyone the, the implication is that everyone takes their wish back. Mm-hmm. Within seconds. Except we explicitly see that Barbara doesn't. But I she mean, I must. guess we don't explicitly see that, but But she must. What they establish at the beginning, they're like, to, the way to cure this is either we all renounce our wishes or we destroy the stone. And so I think they kind of split the difference between, like, Max renounces his wish, although that doesn't mean the stone comes back, but maybe that's ostensibly destroying the stone in addition to people. It just goes back to how confusing this whole world building is, I think. Okay, yeah. I think, thinking about it, now that you've said that, maybe what happens is uh, Max renounces his wish which means every wish that he did also gets like chain renounced Mm -hmm. unrenounced renounced yeah and then the only people who left who've wished with the stone is diana and barbara diana and diana took a wish we don't see a scene but we don't see a scene where barbara did so maybe barbara got to keep her wish maybe but again the fact that we have to speculate about it right just tells you how unclear the storytelling is but again, so, I feel like there is there is an opportunity here, and I and I understand that, and 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 Patty Jenkins has spoken about this that she also doesn't love the end of the first Wonder Woman movie. She didn't want a big fight with Ares. She would have rather it to end in this kind of conversation and to be more along the lines of the Steve Trevor half of the final sequence rather than the Ares half. So she wanted she wanted this to be a moment where this character that she has introduced in the first movie, who is this, you know, kind of pinnacle of love and empathy, who has in the first movie kind of, you know, gone on the journey that she's gone in the first movie and then can, can literally address the world and kind of go like, it doesn't have to be like this. I've, you know, that you, I, I understand why you feel this way, but you know, you can you, you, there are no shortcuts you know you just need to go out and live your best life you know you can have that moment you can have that scene and it can be written by someone with uh, much more skill and talent than me just trying to, trying to spin something out on the spot there but you know like again the deli- the delivery of the actual moment of the of, of of her speaking to everyone it's wrapped up in so many levels of absurdity. And again, I feel like this would be another opportune moment where this could be Wonder Woman making a selfless decision. Maybe it could be her outing herself to the world and realizing I I have to I have to embrace these people. If I want something from them, I have to give them something in return. And I have to be the hero that they need, who is someone who can protect the entire world. Something like that. But she can't because it's the fucking Snyderverse. And we've got, we've got Batman v Superman and Justice League and that terrible fucking framing device that I'd forgotten was on Wonder Woman. Like, I just, I'm watching that sequence going, why this, this again, it's something that, could work I, I i feel like i've seen it in other things like someone trying to speak to the entire world and get this message of hope across well i can tell you 
an exact example, which is that this this ending is what Supergirl does constantly, and I think much better. <laughs> like, Supergirl loves to end a season with, it's not about a fight, it's about Kara reaching out with empathy to people. And this whole movie gave me such, like, latter seasons of Supergirl vibes in the sense that I think Supergirl often struggles with, like, they had a really strong first season that was very much about like here's Kara first becoming a superhero and then once that was established it was like we don't quite know what to do with her so we're throwing in a lot of ensemble players and maybe we're focusing on her love interest too much and and some things are getting lost here and whatever the CGI is frequently shoddy so like there's all the and Mac Lord <laughs> was for a while a major character on Supergirl so I'm already making all these connections but the the mm. sort of lacklusterness of the Wonder Woman 1984 ending made me appreciate how well Supergirl actually does these big speech moments to the point where the latest season of Supergirl and actually for when this comes out if people want to scroll back on my Twitter I tweeted out a video of it but the season of Supergirl is about this VR world that uh, like it's a virtual reality thing that some company puts out and everybody is basically becoming addicted to it because they can live out their fantasies and you know reunite with visions of their loved ones and everyone's not living in the real world and just living in the VR world and then of course it turns out the VR world is evil so Kara has to (laughs) convince everyone to leave it and so it literally ends with a speech where she's like i know that you all want to live in this fantasy world but that's not the real world like pain is part of what makes us who we are and i and it's actually like a very beautifully written and delivered speech that is trying to do what the wonder woman speech is but the wonder woman speech is so confusingly tied up in this idea of wishes and like wishes are fundamentally bad and if you're a person who casually said like oh i wish i had a million dollars like you are morally corrupt so you need to take that back and like (laughs) Whereas Supergirl is, like, built on this, I don't know, she has such an interesting backstory because it's, like, Kara is a woman who lost her entire world when she was a little kid, and she has so much trauma, and yet she remains so empathetic and optimistic throughout it all. And when she speaks to people and says, I know that you want to escape and, you know, live the way things used to be, I, I relate to that, but we have to face the pain. It's, like, it's built on so much that even oh, if the season of... has been rocky, it's, like, so moving at the end. And all of those things that you just said about, you know, a character who lost their entire... <laughs> Uh, their entire people who has this kind of core empathy empathy and belief in other people and you know it returns to that that is the wonder woman of the first movie yeah. that's mm-hmm. that's that's yeah. they 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 do, they do that really well in the first movie yeah you know i just I'm, I'm you know you think you think back to that first film and there are just there are moments she has with the rest of steve's little troop of mm-hmm. um oh, yeah uh, you know it's it's the the uh you and bremner and uh yeah who will sing for us Yes, and and chief, and um, and and uh, you know, a, and a really strong Middle Eastern mm-hmm. um, hero alongside her in the first movie, which you know, you go from that to to this, you know, the <laughs> clear my land of the, of the East in this movie, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but you think back to some of those lovely moments she has with those characters, or just random people she meets in a village, and you think at the start of this movie for five minutes in the mall, like, oh, this is the version of that. It's going to be, but now because we're in the eighties, it's a Saturday morning cartoon version. It's bright and it's shiny, and um, you know, and and also it's kind of on trend. So that's that's why we're doing all of this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but really, I, I mean, like as much as the you know, I do think that Patty Jenkins is doing it in the eighties for those Trump Reagan reasons I was talking about earlier. Um, r- really, what it comes off as is the marketing department wanted a Stranger Things trailer. <laughs> that's 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 the overwhelming feeling I got I got coming out of it was 
this color palette and the mall setting and 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 the the body swap and the fashion routine all of that because it's not it's not a constant through line through the movie it's stuff that smattered in early on it's like yeah this is what the marketing department asked for and we built out from there mm-hmm. it's a bad movie to, yeah but i do have one i have one i saved one nice thing i liked for the end because i did great to be totally <laughs> totally um tragic at the end so i actually i think the most affecting scene even though i don't like the second half of the movie i think the most affecting scene is actually when steve leaves and um there's sort of it's like he's almost come to, he's come to the realization before she has and and she says i don't know how to say goodbye and he says i'm already gone and they do this really cool long shot where they kiss she doesn't even look at him again she just turns around and she's running and like screaming and her powers are coming back as it's mm. happening and i thought that was beautiful like that long shot I thought like genuinely very affecting to me. And that is what goes into her. Like uh, you guys have been saying flying. I thought it was more like Buzz Lightyear style, like falling with style kind of a move, <laughs> like as opposed to actually flying, whatever it is. I actually, that whole sequence of the running into the flying, maybe some dodgy CGI aside, like I actually thought found that very affecting. And, and See, I'm that's... a person who like maybe didn't want Steve Trevor to be in this movie, but <laughs> I thought that that scene was almost made it worth it. I, I again, I, it, it comes down to the execution for me and yes the uh, you know i've already spoken about it i think once it does go into the flying it looks bad and i just don't think gal gadot sells the moment enough as she's Mm. walking away um interesting i thought that was her one of her stronger moments actually was the like i I, I feel really bad saying this because i I do think she's really good in the first one I, I, i like i think she sells almost every key moment in the first movie and that but just I don't know. Maybe it's because I just wasn't going with the rest of it. I I just kind of maybe maybe I ended up being a bit too harsh. But I I yeah. think I yeah I just I hadn't bought into it enough because I remember when that happened I was just sort of thinking well easy come easy go, like <laughs> you know maybe I'll turn yeah. up again. Who knows? They're just it, and and you know we talked about all of the other things it could have been, but the dilemma that she's actually faced with is. You're losing your powers. You can you can get them back if Steve goes. And, you know, the whole movie, you're like, well, as soon as you've introduced it in that fashion, we know he needs to go. Mm-hmm. We've seen enough of these movies. We know you're getting your powers back. There, there, ne- there needs to be so much more nuance to that actual decision rather than you just going, I don't want to, I don't want to. Okay, okay I will. I, it just uh, yeah the the I, again the the execution of that you know if that's what you're going with if that's what you've chosen to go to go for as the sacrifice that Diana has made or, or the or the greedy choice that she's made mm-hmm. um, then I just think you need to sell it a lot better than the film does and and it's like yeah I, I completely agree with James it is easy come easy go <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't feel like a sac you know it doesn't. It doesn't feel like a sacrifice because she goes back to her original status quo, right? But just, but just with more perspective. So what, what she's she she she's actually gained from the scenario that she now has more perspective and she can fly. Yeah, and she can fly. So there was no that she didn't lose anything. And I guess ostensibly she's learned to like embrace her humanity, which is what that last scene is maybe supposed to be about which i'm assuming that last scene was a reshoot this movie wasn't supposed to end at christmas when it was coming out in the summer right that must have been something they added when they knew it was getting a christmas release yeah 
But to me, that last scene needed to be her and Barbara. That last scene needed to be her realizing, I do need to have human contact in my life. I understand how difficult it is when people are grappling with these wishes. I've made up with Barbara. And now I'm, instead of like vaguely, maybe I'll, I don't know, date this guy. Or like <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've already dating. had sex like, with him. So why not? Right, cool. Yeah. Very bad to like element that they introduce and then then don't deal with it all Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. like that if that last scene had been her and barbara and it's like we both need a second chance i'm gonna be more human and like invest in your friendship and i know one day you'll grow old and die but like i've learned that it's worth having experiences even if they end in tragedy that's a much more like wrapped up ending than oh i like your scarf because that's a fun (laughs) reference to when chris pine wore it like Uh, you're right you're right it should have been should have been barbara Instead of just, I, I just can't. The way that they just like didn't do anything with Barbara at the end. Definitely the biggest disappointment for me is how her whole story played out. Oh, I got through this conversation thinking actually maybe I do like it less than <laughs> than, than I thought I did after ruminating on it. I don't know. I, I, I guess I can I can see the intent behind almost every decision the movie makes. Um, I just think it does it, it does a really poor job with them. But I think you know equally, Caroline. I agree. I think you know. I I see I see the logic behind the decisions that the movie made. It still doesn't mean that they were the best ones. Yeah, for me, you mean it's good, but it could be better, or whatever phrase <laughs> is. That's what they needed to apply to this film itself. For me, it's just the thing that the film fails on is the clarity of its storytelling. Like if mm-hmm. if it was just sort of a bunch of bad storytelling decisions i would be fine with it the fact that i spent so much of the film sitting there going what is happening and why like i I just i didn't i couldn't engage with the story on the most basic level of what is happening at the moment and that that for me is a problem like i can i can forgive different creative decisions that i don't agree with as long as i can understand what is they are trying to do and just in the moment, I couldn't, and looking back on it, I'm having to fill in a lot of the gaps myself. And that's yeah. that's why I just sat there going, this is a mess and I can't understand how they got to it. Do you remember when the trailer came out and the coolest moment in the trailer was her literally riding lightning and you were like, holy shit, that looks awesome. And in the movie, <laughs> I almost missed it. I was like, oh, yeah, that was wild. That was a wild thing to just introduce. But you know, in the trailer, you're like, "Wow, she is. She's like that. That's going to be fun when we get to that sequence in the movie." And I don't know whether it's the exact same shot, but when it happened, I was like, "Ah, oh, did I? Have they changed that? Was <laughs> why was I excited about that last time? Was it just they because just, it was set they... to?" Go on, sorry, James. I was just going to say, they do that after she can fly as well, right? Am I imagining that? I still that? think she's yes. falling. I think she's, like, gliding on the air. After I, do, I mean, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm being influenced by the comics here, because in the comics she does have, like, full Superman flight. Mm, okay, so that was that's... actually a question I had. If that was yeah, a so that's probably... Thing, so that makes sense. <laughs> as soon as she gets in the air, I'm like, oh, yeah, she's doing the comics thing now. So, yeah, maybe I that's think it's the difference. Supposed to be... I think it's supposed to be gliding on the airways once she's high enough and she like, grabs onto the lightning to pull herself higher to then continue sort of gliding more okay. like more like um flying squirrel style than <laughs> superman style i think yeah fair okay 
So I, I didn't watch any I trailers. I think by the end, movie. she's full on flying, though. I do think by the end, she's full on flying. Could be. I was going to say, I didn't watch any trailers for this movie. So maybe that's why I liked it more, too. Because I didn't know anything about it. So even the things that we were like, oh, I've seen that. I was like, I didn't know she was going to fly on lightning. So I at least had a moment where I was like, what is happening? <laughs> the trailer, the, the trailers, though, were all that. It was all... It was all Maul and Smithsonian based. It was mm. it was very little outside of that, and a couple of cool action shots of her in the armor, and yeah, the lightning, and and as I said, set to a very recognizable eighty song, um, <laughs> which none of which happens in the movie. I do I do actually think I like the I like the score. Um, I just thought that we, whilst I liked the score, the actual Wonder Woman theme this time around didn't really fit. So whenever when it mm. when it did when it did kick into that in the um, Egypt sequence, I was like, "Oh, oh, oh, yeah, that's the that's the score that they established for um, Wonder Woman, which weirdly works in World War One, but yeah, <laughs> kind of feels out of place here." Um, it's Hans Zimmer who did the music. I think yeah, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's broadly a, a, a good score. <laughs> I think I have all the same complaints you guys have about this movie. I think it's wild that this movie is two and a half hours and I could not tell you what it spends that time doing. (laughs) And yet at the same time, like, I didn't necessarily have a fully negative experience either of the times I watched it. Like, to me, this is more rewatchable than something like New Mutants or, like you mentioned, any of really any of the latter X-Men films. Like, there is something about this to me that, while it teeters on the edge of disaster sometimes, like, it doesn't cross that line for me. Yeah. I did find it watchable. Again, maybe that's because my expectations weren't so high after the first one, but I don't know. To me, there's something that like I can be very frustrated by this movie, but I don't necessarily fully hate it. For, yeah. for me, it was an Aquaman in that I was like, mm. I'm glad I've seen it. There's too much of it for me to ever want to revisit it in any <laughs> serious way. Yeah, uh, Aqu- Aquaman is a much more competent movie than this. I agree. Yeah, I would agree. Plus, this movie did not have Willem Dafoe straddling a hammerhead shark, so by definition, it cannot be as good. <laughs> or an octopus playing yeah. the drums. Yeah, who would have thought it would be nostalgic for Aquaman? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that this movie isn't getting a spin-off set in the trench, so um, <laughs> you've got to you've got to give that in Aquaman's advantage as well. <laughs> That's where Steve Trevor will pop up next. He's been living down there with Nicole Kidman. <laughs> This is, it is it is so sad to me though that we're talking about this movie and I'm thinking, okay, so in the DCU, it's not as good as Aquaman, but it's not as bad as Suicide Squad and Batman v Superman. That's what I'm you know that's that's the mm-hmm. that's the level I'm putting it at, and I'm like, but that's I, I I agree. I think it is more rewatchable than those other movies. I think it you know it. Yeah, the, the, that's 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 almost what I what I keep going back to about thinking the execution is bad because I think there is you know there's a there's a there's enough good ideas and there's enough good elements in here and like we said we've just said Kristen Wiig and Pedro Pascal both good yeah um you know the the Steve Trevor um Diana relationship their their chemistry on screen could be a lot better it just isn't it just you know a lot of, a lot of the things don't come together and um. Yeah, it's just it's just a really frustrating movie. It's just a weird franchise where Diana is basically an entirely different character than she was in the first movie. Like, I think that's probably why you're struggling with Gal Gadot's performances because she's just not playing the same person, mm. you know? Like, we don't usually have a franchise where a character 
changes this much between i mean don't usually have a franchise where where they're set 70 years apart so Mm. it's like such an unusual challenge and an unusual thing to wrap your head around as a viewer but the only thing i compare it to is like doctor who or something but then not to be given any of the context behind why behind why the character is 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 not that anymore Yeah. yeah that's what we needed for sure but it is just such a weird like she just really is so that that it turns out that the you know original wonder woman really was such a like almost like a blip of that was like her teenage years where she was totally different and now we're watching this a character that's more akin to the one we got in justice league yeah. or batman v superman <laughs> the where aloof, like her, the aloof the, version yeah exactly but yeah. that but the ending of this movie sh- you know the way the, the direction it's pointing in is that the character she was in the first movie is fundamentally who she is and she mm-hmm. needs to get back to that <laughs> and she fails but, 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 it's fine we'd all fail if we had Zack Snyder <laughs> I mean according so. to the first Wonder Woman movie still in 2017 she's still only thinking about Steve Trevor and trying to hunt down his photos so I don't <laughs> think there's any hope for this man her ever fully getting over this like based on how much she th- still thinks about it in the present day like it does seem like this is, is and will continue to be the most defining aspect of her character uh, and how, tragic, how, tragic. How, how, how annoying that in 2020 as well that a movie like this is still being held back by its, you know, by by the nature of the fact that it exists within a within a failed cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, what my my main hope for the Snyder Cut is not that it's bad or that I think it's bad, but that the Snyder Bros don't like it. <laughs> so, if the, so if that comes out and the Snyder Bros go. Oh, we, this is just like the Joss Whedon version. We thought you had something different. No, no, it's, it's, it's this, it's this. Oh, oh, well, no, we didn't, we didn't want that. That would be great. That would be great. And it, and it just means that that, that stuff <laughs> could all go, go away, away and we could just, and we could just pretend that it never, you know, it never happened and, you know, make a Wonder Woman 3 that just goes, yeah, it's set in the present day and she's never met any of those other guys. That <laughs> shit, that stuff never happened. Or, you know, it did if it feels right for the story. But, the, you know, th- this movie feels a-, a number of moments held back by the fact that it, it has to exist in, in va- you know, in-, in that continuity. Yeah. Any final thoughts, guys? Oh, I'm just, I feel, I feel, <laughs> no, I feel so I've, deflated. I've said everything. Oh yeah, there was one other thing I liked in the in the in the Egypt fight that we don't like the car chase. I like when she ripped off the guy the um, steering wheel, but she was like, "The brakes still work." <laughs> and like she, I thought that was sweet that she was like, "I will take you down, but I will not cruelly make you die in this car crash." That felt like a the good like Superman vibe that this series goes for, mm-hmm. or I guess you know comic book Wonder Woman vibe that it goes for. Yeah, and I thought that was a nice little detail. You see, <laughs> I am I am looking at that and going, that's just like the moment where she saves the kids and then bashes their skulls into the in the, into the pavement. Because yes, she does that, but in reality, the person driving that truck probably died in that sequence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she might have said that, but she she didn't follow through. <laughs> uh right. Well, that was Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. Hey, but still, guys. Nice to see a new movie. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I gotta say, it was fun to just have, like, a blockbuster to watch in my house on Christmas Day. Even if it was one I wasn't lo- didn't love, that was, like, a fun experience to have. 
and you know hopefully by the time that the next wave of superhero movies are being released it happens in a cinema yeah black widow in a cinema that would be nice i don't i don't know what the north american hbo max stuff means for you caroline but hopefully for movies like the suicide squad still turn up in cinemas as well in some in some capacity Let's just have lots of fingers crossed for lots of elements of the Suicide Squad, I would say. <laughs> just uh, and just the, the, the world in 2021 in general. Yeah, and that more importantly. Yeah, please let us back outside. We'll renounce our wishes if you uh, <laughs> let us go back to normal. <laughs> okay, so that was uh, Wonder Woman 1984. Caroline, thank you for joining us again. Is there anything uh, that you want to plug or let our listeners know where they can find you online? Sure, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Caroline Sita. I also have a letterbox, which is also Caroline Sita. And I'm as I'm rewatching these MCU movies, I'm having an ongoing ranking of them. So if you want, if you want to keep up to date on how I'm <laughs> re-ranking that universe, you can find that I'm there. I'm definitely doing that. Are you creating a list, Carolina? I love, I, I love a good letterbox a list. list. So far, it's just, it's just Iron Man, Iron Man Two, and the Incredible Hulk, <laughs> <I> <laughs> which mean, is a strange list to have. But if we're plugging our letterbox lists, I am on Letterbox as Cineverse James, and I have one where I have ranked every Marvel movie by the Iron Man armor that turns up in it. Mm. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Brilliant. And your rom-com uh, column continues, right, Caroline? Yes, it does. I just wrote one about Longshot as we are. Uh recording this my next one is on an 80s movie called broadcast news so yeah that's only 80s uh, love. Mm. love broadcast news <laughs> i like long shot i love broadcast news oh get holly hunter in a superhero movie what are we what are we dicking around at yeah she did she was she drank grandma's tea or whatever it oh, was. Oh. bring her back snyder cut <laughs> <laughs> that's what we need more of uh, oh god I can't. I can't believe I purged that from my mind. I then... mean, it was for the best. That was what we should all wish for on our wishing yeah. stone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, oh dear. Well, maybe um, is there a chance that this pandemic is all the fault of a Snyder bro who wished for the Snyder cut? <laughs> mm, it does feel like a real monkey's paw situation that we got that. <laughs> Uh, brilliant so find caroline online on letterboxd and uh her rom-com column on the av club um if you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast you can find us on acast apple podcast spotify player fm overcast google stitcher or your podcast app of choice uh you can find everything we do at cinematicuniverse.com you can find our merch at cinematicu.redbubble.com and you can get in touch with us on twitter at cine underscore verse um you can support us on Patreon. Um, that's how you will get access to those weekly uh, WandaVision uh, recaps. Um, and I think that's everything. So thanks for listening and we will see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.